The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is at eye level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. And the moment you've all been waiting for. season of Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. This week, look up in the skies, superhero and comic book television. From its roots in the chapter play serials of the 1930s and 40s, the superhero comic book made a short-lived but still notable mark on the airways of the mid to late 1970s. With everything from the secrets of ISIS and Wonder Woman to the early Marvel productions like Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and the odd success of The Incredible Hulk, after a decades-long hiatus with a notable blip or two along the way like the 1990 Flash, Lois and Clark, or Smallville, the superheroes return to television with a vengeance. So join us as we talk the history and current favorites like Constantine, Arrow, uh, Agent Carter, the modern-day Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, even I, Zombie, only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine. So, uh, with me is my co-host, the Maven of Sleaze himself, the Doyen of Darkness, Mr. Lewis Paul. Hi, Lewis. Yes, Doyen of Darkness, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I thought I was the Doyen of Sleaze. Well, you're the Maven of Sleaze, that's how we came up with that one. Oh. <laughs> Maven. Uh, it didn't rhyme, <laughs> you just kind of dropped in when I was like, what can we name you the Maven of, and you said Sleaze? <laughs> I forget which podcast that was. Uh, so it's stuck. Uh, so, yeah, this week we're talking superhero and comic book television. Uh, just as a little bit of history, we didn't want to get into the movies because that would be an entirely separate podcast, and there's uh, you know good and bad to be found there. Uh, the uh, yeah, that might be down the road. Yeah, maybe yeah. one day. Television's a little bit more... Um, I hate to say consistent, but it's a better subject to tackle, I think, uh, and a little bit more vibrant in a lot of ways. Uh, basically, I'm figuring that we should touch on the early serials just a bit uh, as part of the history because 
technically, if you're thinking uh, television, uh, you know, it is a weekly episodic thing. So, you know, the chapter play that used to go back to the theaters back in the 30s and 40s to see, uh, that was, you know, every week as part of whatever program they had, whatever movies they were showing, whatever Three Stooges shorts or uh, Nargang or, you know, cartoons, whatever the hell else they had to show you in newsreels. Uh, you would also go there because, you know, people didn't have television those days, obviously. Uh, instead of just sitting home listening to the radio or reading the paper, they would go out to the movies for a day and spend, like, whatever it is, five, ten cents, and sit there and be entertained for, you know, three or four hours worth of a double feature plus this, this other stuff in between. So one thing the theaters used to do as an incentive to keep coming back every week and to their specific theater, regardless of what kind of junk they might have been showing, was they kind of tried to get the – especially the kids – hooked on this thing, which was the serial. Um, they had all sorts of chapter plays, uh, everything from, you know, Secret Agent G-Men to Westerns to, you know, God knows, you, you name it, and it's there. Uh, but a lot of them came from pulps, you know, things like The Shadow or The Spider. Uh, and then they moved pretty quickly into the comic book, which is a pretty new phenomenon. You know, they really only came about in, I think it was like 1939 when um, first Superman arrived, uh, and then uh, you know Bob came with Batman uh, and Bill Finger. You know, you can get don't get into the comic geekery, but you know the fact is that it was a relatively new thing that was catching on. Uh, just as a newsstand kind of thing, it was, it was almost the equivalent of the Penny Dreadfuls that they used to have around the turn of the century. Uh, so, in addition to things like we have mentioned and things that were from the newspaper, like, you know, you go to the Sunday paper and you'd see like Flash Gordon or Dick Tracy or whatever. Uh, you would start getting things like, oh, and I could also name Mandrake the Magician, the Phantom, you know, the Green Hornet. All this stuff was kind of uh, newspapery. But then when it came to comics, most of them were, you know, DC or whatever they called themselves back then. I know it wasn't originally DC. Um, and then later action comics, wasn't it? Well, that was their first title. But I forget who the company oh. was. There was another name that they had back in the 40s oh. uh, that I can't remember. It was All-American. Uh, There's two companies. It was All-American and something else. I don't remember uh, enough of my comic history just off the top of my head. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, they, you started seeing things that were from pretty much all from D.C., uh, which was, you know, the Adventures of Captain Marvel, uh, Batman, and then Batman and Robin, Superman, and then Adam Man versus Superman, Blackhawk. Uh, which technically I think was Fawcett, but they later got sucked up by DC. Uh, and the only thing that came out from technically Marvel, which at the time was timely, and I'm not even sure if they really fell into that age just because originally it was Simon and Kirby, but Captain America. He had his own serial in 1943. Um, you know, the merits of these things, honestly, the superhero ones tend to be some of the best ones. Not necessarily top tier. We're not talking about uh, Daredevils of the Red Circle, or The Shadow, or ones that pretty much everybody that's into serial says, yeah, this is a great one. This is one of the best. you got to check this out. But, you know, Captain Marvel was really pretty highly regarded. Uh, it's a surprise that there wasn't a sequel. The original Batman, uh, which was, you know, that was in 1941. The original Batman from 1943 uh, was, you know, reasonably highly regarded. The sequel, not so much, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, that was from 1949, actually, which is right towards the end of the serial craze. So you should get the idea right from there. Um, the original Superman was actually in 1948, so it took a while to get there. Uh, but it was, again, pretty highly regarded. 
And then its sequel was only two years later, 1950, uh, Adam Man vs. Superman, which similarly became the Superman radio show. Uh, they actually took that. I forget whether the serial came first or the radio show came first, but uh, they actually did a whole, you know, it was like a weekly or a daily thing. I'm sorry, it's like 15 minutes long, the show. And they did a whole long thing on, you know, Superman facing this guy who was basically a Nazi. And it was almost like um, Metallo later in the Superman comics. You know, he had the, the kryptonite in his chest, and that was what was powering him and killing him eventually. Uh, and that's what this was all about. And then they brought it to the serial. And, you know, it was popular. Both of those were pretty popular. Uh, Black Hawk, not to make people notice, because, again, we're talking 1952. That was, you know, serials were almost totally washed up at that point. But again, you know, these were definitely precursors to this whole thing. They were the first real episodic comic book based um entertainment, if you will. Um now, ignoring what we said, the superhero movies, we won't really touch too much on that stuff, at least tonight. Um, but in the seventies, in the late seventies, and this is before the Superman movie, mind you, uh, there was a bit of a craze. I know that at the time Stanley was very hip. Uh, kind of like he is nowadays, but this was like the original time when people really noticed him. Uh, he was very popular in the college circuit, and he was going around doing things like they had a stage show that didn't go so well. Uh, he was going around to campuses giving lectures. Uh, he was trying to get movies made with, I think, Alain Rosnay, uh, the French uh, New Wave director, came over and was hanging around with Stan Lee trying to make a film with him. There was a lot of this kind of – there's a crossover with Mobius, the uh, the famed French uh, cartoonist. Uh, so tapping into this somewhere – uh, and he started putting out things like they would have these fireside books, uh, like you know, Origins of Marvel Comics. So you get a hardcover book in a mainstream bookstore about the history of – which was only like a 10-year-old history at that point because he's going back to the 60s now, not to the 40s uh, – the history of Marvel Comics. And this was kind of unique at the time. So really he was in the zeitgeist at the time. The, the whole thing of the comic was having its first, uh, let's say, adult appreciation. You know, it wasn't just something that kids were picking up on the newsstand for a quarter. Um, people that were a little older were appreciating. I kind of like, you know, the Star Trek thing that was going on at the time. Uh, that, you know, the science fiction thing that was going on at the time. Uh, there was a lot of this sort of appreciation of the pulps, uh, things that you would not see before. You know, they were kind of underground before this. And then later on, they would sort of go away for a while, but it, it was kind of like the precursor of what we're seeing now, where mainstream culture was suddenly aware of this you know, comic book superhero type phenomenon. And probably because of this, we started seeing a couple of uh, TV shows. Uh, first off, you had, I think, the earliest one. I'm not positive of this, the specific dates. Uh, was, uh, this was actually a little bit earlier. You had Shazam in 1974 which was uh, they couldn't use Captain Marvel because there was a big back and forth between the two companies. And, of course, Captain Marvel, they created the the Kree uh, superhero, whatever he was. And that way, DC wanted to use this Fawcett character again that had been popular in the, the serial back when, and they had revived his comic book, and that was really popular. So they just called it by his catchphrase, like when he would change into uh, from Billy Batson into Captain Marvel, which was Shazam. So they called it by that, and pretty unique. It, it was a filmation job. Uh, we won't get into the whole thing about Lee Scheimer and filmation, but uh, what happened is 
they had this strange conceit where Billy Batson wasn't a child uh, newspaper. Uh, he wasn't like the uh, newspaper seller like Freddie Freeman was, Captain Marvel Jr., but the same idea. And he would turn into ostensibly an adult with the mind of a child, uh, which was Captain Marvel. And you know the, the comics are really cartoony. C.C. Beck had a strange conception of things, and uh, you know he had like a talking tiger, and he had this whole Marvel family, which included some old fat drunk named Uncle Marvel that they had no superpowers but would go around in a costume. He's like a sidekick. So they weren't sure, like how the hell would you bring this to TV? So they made the uh, Billy Batson character. I would say significantly older because he had to be at least in his teens, late teens. This fellow named uh, Michael Gray, uh, and they gave him a, and this is kind of strange in retrospect, uh, but they gave him a, a mentor, if you will, and that's what they actually what they called him was mentor. He never had a name, uh, which was Les Tremaine, and he was kind of a, uh, he, he was a. 40s and 50s bit player, basically. He never really made a big name for himself, uh, but he was out there. And they would travel around well, the country. He, he, was, he, he, was, he, was, uh, he was known for his voice acting, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, Les Germain did a lot of voiceover work, and he did a lot of... Uh, if you remember the classic sci-fi movies in the 50s, if there was uh, an introduction like Earth... The Scorched Land, you know, it was like Les Tremaine, right. you know, it's like uh, Earth versus the Flying Sources, which he had a, bit, a small role in. He actually did a lot of the voiceover work in that as well, just, you know, to, you know, who yeah. Les Tremaine was. Yeah, but yeah, he never really made it big, yeah. So these two would travel around the country together, which in retrospect is really homoerotic and bizarre. It's like, well, this guy is like, you know, maybe 16, let's call him that. And he, he actually looked older, but you know you would figure that's what he was. And here's this old guy that had to be in his fifties, if not older, you know, relatively well dressed, driving around in a wagoneer all around the country together. And they kind of had this like good natured, you know, ribbing sort of relationship. And, it, and I was like, ah, something's a little strange about this, <laughs> especially to modernize. Like, what the fuck? You know, there's no way they weren't related or anything. So like, hmm, I wonder what he's mentoring him in. <laughs> But uh, it was it was supposed to be a family sort of a show, obviously, and they would go around and help kids. That was almost uh, in, in respect. It was like a live action Fat Albert, uh, the same kind of thing that would solve you know these kids' dopey little problems and you know get them out of supposed real life situations and making moral choices. A typical filmation thing. They kept on doing that right into the eighties with He Man and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this show was really really popular. They had two guys. The first one was a fellow named Jackson Boswick who looked the part, and he – first off, he was apparently a drinker, but secondly, there were some issues with him in filmation. I don't know what happened. I believe it had came down to some sort of a contract dispute. You know, maybe he wanted more money. I don't know what the deal was. You know, Lou and uh, his partner there, uh, Norm uh, Prescott, they claimed that it was because you know he didn't show up and he was always drunk. You know, who knows what the real story was here? But in in any respect, one way or another, it did involve a contract dispute. And they said, "Well, the hell with you. Let's get another guy." And they got this fella who's a really nice guy, but he was kind of an overweight Southern guy, like a good old boy named John Davy. And, you know, when you're a kid, you even notice this. But as an adult, it's like, 
wow, you went from this guy, okay, he's got big bushy eyebrows, he was a little, you know, he might have a little bit of a lisp, but he's, he's seen the part, and all of a sudden you've got this, you know, jovial, likable, but kind of dumpy, you know, down-home type coming in there, like, ah, how you doing, y'all? Like, whoa, okay, what happened here? Uh, so while this show was still going on, once you get to that John Davies season, uh, they said, you know what, let's do something completely different. And it turned out that they actually did. And people always think like Wonder Woman was the first, or the Bionic Woman, or maybe even Charlie's Angels or something like that, Nancy Drew, because all that was around the late 70s period. Uh, but this was really the first female, um, not necessarily lead character, because you had things like Julia, you know, with Diane Carroll we talked about in the Black Exploitation show. But it was one of the first of those kind of like, you know, the, the female was the main character. Uh, and the, the main protagonist that you were worried about every week. But secondly, she was definitely the first female superhero on television, uh, which was The Secrets of Isis, if I didn't say already. Uh, Joanna Cameron, who was uh, – apparently her whole audition was she came in in her little tennis skirt, and Lou and Norm loved her legs, and that was it. <laughs> and I don't blame them because uh, I was totally in love with this woman uh, as a child and you know, still kind of am when you go back and watch her there or on her early appearance on the Spider-Man series which we'll get to in a minute. Um, it was the same caliber, really, as the Shazam show, but I found it less cloying. Uh, the messages were still there, but it wasn't as, I don't know, it wasn't as syrupy, if you will, at least in the first season. Uh, she had a cast of characters. She was basically supposed to be some sort of a school teacher. I think she was supposed to be an English teacher or something. She had a crow. She, she, she did she did appear on Shazam and then they yes. she got her own show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well no, it was afterwards. She already had the show and they crossed it over trying to uh get oh, the get right. the boys interested in it, if you will. If if the guys were already watching it like I was. Uh, but uh and they did that several times actually. They had a couple of crossovers. Uh but this was all during a John Davier, I believe. And she had this thing where she talked to this crow, which was named Tut. Uh, that sort of went away, but again, first season it was there. And they had, there was this guy that was supposed to be he's another teacher, and he was, for the time, he's like a typical 70s type guy, you know, bushy mustache and the whole deal. Thought he was kind of hip, but he was really, uh, not really like a new man, effeminate type like uh, Alan Alda, but kind of going down that road because he was kind of worthless. You know, and he would always think that he was going to come save the day, but it was really her that was saving the day, and she kind of laughed at him like, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, and they had to, you know, bring in a, a, a younger identification point, so they brought in this girl, uh, Joanna Pang, yeah. who was pretty cute, Chinese girl. Uh, but she went around these silly pigtails, which I don't know. They made her look younger than she was supposed to be, I guess. Uh, but then she left in the first season, and then they got this other girl. Well, that's be, that's because that's because American television back in those days, y'all, that they were still playing with their whole Asian girls as subservient to Americans, you know. Even even to have her appear on the show, there's like, well, what can we do? No, no, she looks too much like a woman. Let's put pigtails on her. You know? <laughs> there was a lot of that back then. It was silly. I didn't find her subservient at all. So, you know, it, I, I think you're saying about how it was at the time the attitudes were that way because it wasn't that way on the show. Yeah, the it didn't attitude, cross that way. No, yeah, I want to correct myself. The, the attitudes were that way, not that the character or the way she was portraying her, but I'm right. sure in the yeah, production uh, production room they're like, no, I think I think we like this look better. 
sure she was pissed, but she's got work. You know, she, yeah. she's working. She's a working girl. You know, so. <laughs> working girls like stone competitions. But yeah, I mean, I just didn't want the audience to think like we were talking about like you know this is one of those typical uh, you know Fu Manchu type of roles. That wasn't the case at all. Uh, but no, yeah, no, anyway, it wasn't the case at all. No. She had left after the second season. I forget what it was. Maybe they moved the production to another area, another city. Maybe she got another job. I don't know. Uh, I did know at one point. I can always look up in the future. But who knows? Yeah, right. Uh, but they got this other girl in there. I can't remember her name, but she was, you know, a black girl. Uh, but she wasn't as – I hate to say it wasn't as likable, but she was kind of annoying. There was something about her that was over-earnest. You know, she's like really like an eager beaver. I'm like, I don't know. It, it just didn't work as well and as the first season. That doesn't cut it. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. It didn't work as well as the first season, just like with the Shazam show. So both of these shows lasted two seasons, uh, not necessarily simultaneously. And they actually had them together for a while on the Shazam license hour, and they would run other cartoons and stuff in between, more filmation stuff. Uh, but right around that same time, you started getting other ones. Uh, like I had mentioned, Wonder Woman had just come out. Uh, that was actually Isis was 75, I believe, and uh, Wonder Woman started in 76. Now that's kind of a show in itself, so I don't want to get too deep into that one. But you know, Linda Carter, everybody knows she was a model. Um, you know, big Texan, uh, big bone, big hips, <laughs> but very pretty. Uh, and her first season was set in World War II, which they were kind of doing in the comic books at that time, and that's the way Wonder Woman was when it came out in the early 40s. Uh, they kept a little bit of uh, William Moulton Marston's uh, slight S&M sort of a thing. He was kind of a kinky guy. Uh, he actually had a couple of women he was living with. He like sort of had two wives unofficially, uh, and he liked you know being dominated by females, and you know they would tie him up and all kinds of weird shit was going down. And he sort of slipped that into the comics, even in the 40s. You can see a little bit of like, ooh, this is interesting. And to this day, you can see like if you go to the comic price guide, it's oh look, bondage cover, bondage issue, because there's always a little bit of that kind of stuff slipping through. Uh, so they brought a little bit of that to the show itself. Uh, not enough to make it kinky, but enough to make it sort of a cause celeb among the budding feminist movement of the time, you know, the ERA and all that. Uh, and I know my mother, when I was a child, used to drag me to a couple of those meetings with her because she was a big feminist. And they would play, I remember, like the entrance when you got there, they played the Wonder Woman theme. And then when you left, they would play the uh, Helen Reddy's I Am Woman. <laughs> uh, it was at, this, at this thing? Yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, all the women loved me because, you know, I was like the only – obviously the only child and the only guy there. Uh, but, you know, when I was a kid, I just got dragged along. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it was – the show itself was like this. It was a huge thing among feminists at the time. And, of course, the guys liked watching it too because Linda Carter was kind of cute. What are you going to do? Uh, and that first season was and, actually and, – and, and it's got a, a huge gay following even today. You know that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. With shows featuring strong women, you know, they they do tend to gravitate to that. So whenever you say something is, you know, geared towards the ladies, a lot of times they'll have a gay following as well. Especially sometimes the gay following is stronger than with the ladies. Uh, but oh yeah, I knew guy, I knew guys that like, oh look, I have the Wonder Woman encounter. Like, cool, good for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, everybody loved the show. It was very popular. Remember, this is during the days still when there was no cable. Nobody really, unless they were really rich, had a Betamax even, you know, which was pre-VHS. Um, 
if you wanted to see the show, you had to have them turn it on at the bar or the restaurant wherever you were, or you had to be home at that time. It was kind of inconvenient. Um, so it's a this- weird show, though. I mean, I mean, it was always a weird show to me because the first season they were doing what 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 I liked on was making it uh, time period appropriate. Yeah. Uh, and then, like after that first season, they went right away to make it contemporary. And well, you know, but it, it, the thing, yeah, I know you want to get to that, but the thing is, I thought it was, it also began since we jumped right into woman, it also began the, you know, this is major, this is you know, your time period, your six million dollar man is on about this time, and other right. popular shows, uh, SWAT, uh, rookies. Right. Um, it also showed the inert cheapness of the production. It's like as the Wonder Woman production went on, it, episodes became cheaper and cheaper. I mean, you can even look at YouTube. People have done compilations of the most ridiculous throw-yourself-around moments that the stunt guys did. I mean, she was a, she's a, a buxom woman, no doubt about it. And yes. She has the most incredible blue eyes, and she's attractive. If you don't mind because, somebody's hips being bigger than their breasts, she's perfect. But she is very attractive. <laughs> yes, yeah, she is very attractive, but she was a big lady. You know, yes, she's, she's a, a very big, big woman. woman. And yeah. it was not a very big Well, not in terms of being fat, but she was like nine feet tall. <laughs> you know, big hips, big, you know, she's, she's full yeah, figure. Yeah. And so the funny thing was, she was not a life, uh, a lesson person in her movements, you know, if I said that correctly. Right. And, they tried to get around that by trying to shoot a lot of slow mo. Do you remember the, a lot of times they yes, were shooting they did. slow mo? Yes, they did. And it was like the they poor also used guys. A lot, they used a lot of cutaways too. Like she would do something, and then they would show a reaction shot with the other person, and she wouldn't be on screen. And they go cut back to her, and she'd smile or put her hands on her hips. Or yeah. so yeah, they did work their way around that. She would cross her wrists with the bracelets, and yeah. you know, you know, of course, to deflect bullets and whatnot. But more often than not, guys would run toward her, they cut, and they would, it was like they were diving away from her. <laughs> you know, it was like, she was, you know, she, it was It was supposed to be like she's flinging them away. Right. And and, and it, it started to get to the point where like, sheesh, you know. <laughs> well, what happened here, because you had mentioned how it changed, it got much cheaper. First well, of all, they changed yeah. networks. Uh, so they were yeah. on – this is kind of unheard of at the time too. Uh, it started to happen with other things. The Bionic Woman did it later as well. Uh, but it started off on, I think, uh, ABC, and then it moved to NBC. Oh. Uh, yes. at, at okay. second season. And a couple things happened. One thing was – and I don't remember why, but I'm thinking they thought that the production in the 40s was kind of prohibitive, cost prohibitive, and a little bit limiting. Uh, Di- uh, Diana <laughs> Linda Carter herself was getting uh, kind of a big head because she realized that you know people were really into this and she was becoming this feminist icon and she was being on you know faded by people like Gloria Steinem and she was uh, put on magazine covers and you know it was a huge thing. So not only the usual like okay well I'm worth more money kind of a thing, but she also started demanding creative control. Uh, so she started saying, okay, first off, the bra that they gave her in the first um, season was too uncomfortable mm-hmm. for it. It had like these metal things on it. Okay, fine. So they made it more of a yeah, soft-focused thing. Come on. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look as good, but, you know, all right, fine. She's uncomfortable. But uh, then she says, okay, well, 
I don't know whether it came from her or whether it was due to the cheapness thing or there was another issue, but they said, let's make this contemporary. And now all of a sudden, here's the same cast of characters, basically, although they dropped some like, you know, Etta Candy and stuff like that, and moved it to modern day on the 1976 base, on the 77. And they put her in this ridiculous fake organization. I forget what it was, OSI or something, whatever. Uh, I, IMF, ITA, you know, they always got some stupid name. It, it was uh, sort of like a man from uncle type type of organization. I remember right. that. Yeah, yeah. They brought over Steve Trevor, but this time he was no longer, you know, this military guy. Now he's kind of a doofy. Uh, I think he was supposed to be here superior or something, but they kind of dropped that really fast. You know, very quickly he became like the half-ass sidekick. Um, and my, this Wagner. Is my, that was Wagner, right? yeah. who was already kind of uh, known for this with uh, Carol Burnett. And I think that's actually why he was chosen, because it's like, all right, well, he's a guy, he's kind of handsome, he's, he's likable, he's got a strong personality, but he's not afraid to play second fiddle to a woman, which was kind of rare at that time. So they were like, okay, perfect, here you go. And that's really plus, what he did. He did a Cosmo uh, center spread, too, I think, around this time. Might very well have. I don't remember that, but, uh, but yeah, 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 he's kind of young, so who knows? Uh I know that uh, she was on a lot of covers and things back then. That's all I remember. But anyway, what happened was the series got really kind of chintzy. And all of a sudden, she was this you know secret spy in this government organization. And she had all-access passes, and they're going around all these crazy missions. And like, really? And it was, it was kind of what we were joking about with uh, James Bond and The Saint the other week. It's like everybody knows exactly who this you know, crackpot yeah. secret organization is, even though they're supposed to be secret. And they, you know, they give her all access all the time, even though she's just some, I hate to say it, but she's kind of acting like a bimbo a lot of times. She wasn't very smart in the series. Uh, she kind of seemed... You know, one, one issue I have with this, uh, one issue I have with this uh, jump to contemporary, okay, that's fine, that's what they fucking decided to do, it's cool, is that they decided to have all the enemies wear, like, suits and fedoras... <laughs> So they they moved the time period up to be contemporary, but they had guys dressed like they were extras from like the the earlier version of the show. Right. Almost all of the villains were dressed alike. They were interchangeable. Um, the henchmen, in quotations, were probably the same damn guys from <laughs> show to show. And but yeah, they wore nobody wears fedoras like that except for me. But nobody wears fedoras like that, you know. When when you're doing that kind of thing, you know. And and um, it it started to take like me. I watched it. You know, it sounds like you yeah. watched it too. So sure. It, it took me sure. out of it. It was like, oh, this is turning into a huge lump of piece of shit. You know. And yeah, it got more and more ridiculous. We we have the series. We love the series. We we spent many a morning, you know, months and months watching these things and watch them again. Uh, but. As you go on in the series, especially once you start getting towards the third season, it gets cheaper and crappier. And uh, they bring in this robot that's kind of like almost like a Tweaky thing, but before Tweaky, it's like you know yeah. this kind of robot dog thing. I'm like, oh. It gets so stupid. I mean, you went from things like okay, in the the uh, when they were in the forties, they're on ABC. They actually had like Deborah Winger before she became popular as Wonder Girl. And I remember I used to like her when I was a kid and stuff. Uh, all this stuff kind of dropped off, and it just became a bad cross between I don't know, like I said, the Man from Uncle and Starsky and Hutch, and yeah. with. You know, uh, Wild Wagner playing less and less of a part, and when he was there, he was totally comic relief. 
And her, Linda Carter, playing more and more of a part and trying to be – you could see like her trying to gain power behind the scenes and direct things more and more as the series went on. And it just kept getting worse and worse. I'm like, wow, this girl has no idea what she wants to do with this role or nobody knows how to handle her to get around it. And it just kind of went down the toilet. Uh, they're still watchable in the second season for sure. But once you start getting towards the end, it's like, ooh, wow, this is really <laughs> – this has gone downhill a lot. She was probably taking voice lessons at the time. She had a she had a decent career as a chantreuse. Yeah, uh, she was a half-assed country singer, which was ridiculous. But you know, hey, if that's oh, what you're in. Oh, just so mean. <laughs> I was trying to be kind. <laughs> There's no yeah, way to be in the Carter's country career. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, I wasn't really cutting her slack. They but, even you know, had an episode where she was recording in studio. There was like, okay, let's pretend that we're going to have Diana go and investigate some crooked uh, – and it was a funny one, yeah. too. We have her investigate some crooked record company thing, and they had Rick Springfield in it as this fake – Kiss band called the Jokers, and they would kind of dress up in the makeup and stuff. But they would run around pulling pranks on everybody and jumping around like the Riddler, like Frank Gorshin's Riddler. I'm like, what the hell? It's hilarious. It's really great and campy, but wow, what a bad episode! It was all totally a vanity project excuse for her to show her lousy singing voice. I was like, wow. <laughs> and this, this is decades before Rick Springfield actually finally got street cred. Well, that was. <laughs> Look, in 1981's Working Class Dog was pretty freaking hot. I love that album. Uh, so this was a couple years before that, obviously, but, you know, it wasn't like decades yet. Uh, but, and don't forget, <laughs> who do you have playing on that album that made it so damn good? Neil Gerardo from uh, Pat Benatar's band. That was the fucking hardest guitar player at the time. So, uh, But anyway. Uh, so the show was big for a while, but then it kind of flopped out. And right around this time, as it's kind of moving along, and you've got the Bionic Woman took over and whatever else, Marvel jumped into the stage, which is why I mentioned about Stan Lee before. Uh, and they started doing a bunch of these things. So you got first you got the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man TV series, Amazing Spider-Man. To this day, not on DVD, and it's a crime. I know people don't like it. I know Stan himself complained about it because he wasn't happy with the practical special effects. I mean, this is 1977, people. You're not going to have CG. You're not going to have anything too fancy. So basically, he had some guy that was like a human fly type actually climbing up skyscrapers that they would use the footage for. They had, you know, he would shoot instead of whatever, he'd shoot this thing that was kind of like a rope, and it became like a web that would catch people, and they were like, whatever. But it was a decent show, especially of this type. If you're comparing it to ISIS, if you're comparing it to Shazam, if you're comparing it to the Wonder Woman, if you're comparing it to any of these other ones that we'll discuss around this time, it was a really good show, at least in the first season. Um... Later on, they kind of did the Banachek route, and they gave him an annoying pseudo-feminist sidekick who was just like – I think her name was like Ellen Fry or something. It might have been the same girl that annoyed Banachek. What a pain in the ass she was. But uh, when he was by himself or the other girls involved, like he had uh, – Glory Grant was on there, uh, which is one of the, you know, those who read Spider-Man of that era know who that is. Um, and Joanna Cameron popped in for a couple episodes, and there was an episode where he had, I think, uh, Rosamund Kwan or uh, – Rosamund Chow, that's it. Uh, who was a big Chinese actor. Yeah, Rosalind Chow, Rosalind Chow. Yeah, I mean, all those episodes, those women and stuff, they were great. But this one that they tried to hook him up with was horrible. She was playing like another reporter or something. Uh, but overall, the show went on for, I don't know, let's call it uh, 13 episodes, some of which were double length or triple length because they're like, you know, TV movie type things. Uh, and a lot well, of them were rather good. What they did, though, what they did was, and especially in, in around after the show got canceled, 
they would they would edit together episodes. Yes. And they would uh the early days of D V D at least they started to appear I'm sorry, VHS. Sorry folks, VHS. They started to appear as movies. And they actually weren't movies. They were just edited together episodes of the show. Exactly. And you had good people in there, right? Robert Simon was his uh, Jonah Jameson. Some people don't like it because he wasn't nasty enough, but he could be pretty grouchy, and he, when he was likable, he was likable. Um, I thought he did a good job. Robert Pataki showed up for a while there as uh, the annoying uh, police chief. Uh, it was oh, Michael, good... Michael Pataki, right? Yes, Michael Pataki, right. Uh, yeah. It was a good show. I really, really liked it. I liked it when I was a kid. I've, I've liked it uh, when it played on the Sci-Fi Channel back in the 90s. And I think it's a shame that nobody's put it on DVD. Somebody should really get it on a stick here. Um, so that lasted. It was the problem with that one though was they didn't keep a consistent schedule. I remember as a child watching it, and it was like, okay, well here it is. It's on like Tuesday or whatever. Okay, I'll be on next whatever it is next Tuesday, and then all of a sudden it would be off for two weeks, and then it would come back on. It would be on Thursday, and now it was up against you know some crazy Pink Lady Jeff or something, and then it would be gone again, and then it would be back, and it was on Sunday night. And what, what the hell were they doing? They kept moving around. They didn't know what to do with it. But you know what? Even at even at that young early age, me well for myself, I would I I immediately knew because I saw the same shit happen with a lot of other shows that were starting to, if not think they were great, were starting to like well let me see if I can get into the rhythm of the night you know like see if I can follow it and maybe get into it, right? And if I'm starting to like it, they start to do that a lot with a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. And after a while, you would lose, you know, but I'm not home on Tuesday, or I'm not going to be home on Saturday night. Exactly. And they, and they lost like, their audience. That's yeah. what happened. That, that was the kiss of death. I don't know why they would do this crap, but they did pull this a lot. It always caused problems. Uh, so what happened then was 1978. The Spider-Man show was still kind of going on and off. Uh, they put out a couple of TV movies. Some were very unsuccessful, which we'll get to soon. Uh, but one was actually rather good. Again, limitations of the time. They did a Doctor Strange movie with Peter Hooten as Doctor Strange. There was an unofficial Clea in it. She was kind of like this bimbo that came to him for, I don't know, she was having bad dreams or whatever. There was actually a, a novel. Bimbos are fine. Marvel was putting out novels at that time, and there was one called Nightmare, which was about you know all these people that were having nightmares, and they came to Doctor Strange, and it turned out that that character Nightmare was behind it all. It was like that. It was leading up the same way. So they were kind of – I don't know who took from who, but that was in there. And they had an ancient one who was not that old, but you know he was sort of older, and he sort of worked if you believed him being easily caught, if you will. There was sort of an Umar knockoff. So they were kind of being half faithful to the comics, half not. Uh, it For me, especially at the time, it worked really well. Uh, seeing it nowadays, I still like it a lot. It's not a bad thing. It's just, okay, well, it's the pilot for something that never came afterwards. So there's holes uh, and there are limitations. But, again, it should be on DVD. It was good. Uh, I don't know how this new Doctor Strange thing is going to be. Hopefully that will be decent. But, you know, we're talking about 1978 here. So, And actually, that was another thing. 
we talk about how well, you couldn't be home to see these things all the time. I was actually young mm-hmm. enough that my folks had gone out. We went to dinner or some crap, and they decided they were going to stop off and play mini golf, you know, just the two of them. So I'm sitting around there, like, waiting by the car, like, looking at my watch, like, hey, you know, I got to go home and see Dr. Strange. <laughs> and by the time we got home, it was like, you know, 45 minutes in, and I was so pissed off at them. And they replayed it one time between then and I think I don't know if I even saw it on sci-fi I think I had to get like a bootleg you know one of those green market DVDs you know 20 years later so I was like wow uh, but even when I saw it stuck with me and then later on I was like okay yeah this is cool uh, I do think I saw it once when I was younger so they must have re-ran it once but never again it was just like it vanished into oblivion well, my, my Doctor Strange Remembrance is sort of like yours. I, I like it a lot. I thought Peter Hooten was fine. Uh, yeah, he was great. I I do remember it well. I actually saw. It. I was I was in the video shop in the late. No, let's make it the early. Night. And there there was I think a small press. VHS of the thing. I rented it again. So, oh wow, it's Doctor Strange. I saw it again. And, you know, I still thought it was okay. Um, yeah, it's a strange thing because it's a strange Marvel character. And Yes. This was when Marvel was playing around with things. This is why the 70s were the greatest time period for a lot of things in entertainment uh, because everybody, whether you were talking about pornography or films or comic hey. books or music or movies, whatever it was – Somewhere in there, people were experimenting to see what you know. What we things would bleed over. They would watch art house films, and that would bleed into something that was considered low entertainment. They would be into you know whatever uh, you know new alternate religions or something, and that would bleed into what was going on. They were into kung fu movies, and all of a sudden, all this Eastern mysticism would bleed into you know the comic books. You had things like you know Master of Kung Fu, which was a really trippy series. I mean, yeah, I know it started off as this Fu Manchu thing, but they left that really fast. Uh, Doug Munch, and then especially once you got later on with Gene Day, that stuff was incredible. That, that series is definitely one of my favorite series ever. Uh, very adult, uh, very trippy shit, uh, very philosophical. Uh, and then you would have series like you know Captain Marvel with Jim Starlin, which is all cosmic. He's doing a lot of drugs and you know some really trippy ideas, Warlock and things like that. You had Doctor Strange touching on the occult and philosophy. He would do crazy shit. He met God at one point. I mean, he's like they're deconstructing mythoses and things. You had crazy things like the Son of Satan. These were not the kind of comic books that were being made, you know, anywhere before or really since. Now this is all this dark, spooky shit, but it says nothing. Back then, they were trying to say something. They were reaching for some kind of uh, higher personal truth in one way or another. These, you know, basically hippies. And this would come across in the comics. They were writing not just for kids or for commerce. They were writing to other people they knew, their peer groups. So I said, hey, man, you know, this is what I checked out from you know this Country Joe and the Fish album or whatever the hell. And now I'm thinking about uh, going to, I don't know what, you know, the alternate religion with, uh, you know, Jai Guru Deva Am or whoever the hell it is. <laughs> yeah. And I'm doing EST, and this would bleed across in the comic books. or this would bleed across in whatever else. So you had some really trippy shit, and Doctor Strange was definitely one of them and one of my favorites. So yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, and it was a one-off. And and you know, I you you mentioned it in the passing. I I I am very very curious about this movie. Yeah, you got a good actor in the role, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. It's like who would think of signing? And the 
director is a guy who made the, you know, I don't really pay attention to a lot of these modern horror movies because I find them so yeah. gross. I just do. Tell me about <laughs> But he made this one with uh, Ethan Hawke, the director. Of, I think it's Insidious. Okay. Uh, it's a, sort of a pseudo found footage thing, and I was very unnerved. And I actually thought it worked. And I was like, well, this guy is making this movie. He's a clever filmmaker. And this is an unusual actor. So maybe we can have something that's maybe close to our uh, what we wanted to see, you know, right. as far as right. the comedy. Exactly right. I mean, I thought that the Doctor Strange film back when came close enough to be acceptable, especially for mainstream TV of the time. It really went kind of far. But, you yeah, know, TV, with yes. nowadays sensibilities and being a proper movie, who knows? Then again, it could be the thing I always make fun of. You know, the superhero's going to come in and punch a demon out. I'm like, okay, get the fuck out of here, please. Why am I watching this crap? Because, uh, you know, some of these people are just... I'm sorry, some of the people nowadays are just fucking retarded. That's the only way to put it. Uh, but... No, I know what you're saying, but I'm so bloody curious about Deadpool. Yes. I'm like, what is going I've on? I've heard a lot of good things about it. I heard a lot I of have two. I, I, I went from my interest went from like zero. Can we triple zero to triple zero? <laughs> to, <laughs> really? Is it possibly uh, this much fun? So now it's now on my radar, so I'm going to have to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... Then, after this, they put out two more, because they figured, okay, we're we're on a roll here. And they put out Captain America, which was, oh, boy. It, it was their first flop. Yeah, it was their first flop. And for some reason, unlike the others, I'm okay, Spider-Man was kind of an ongoing, on and off uh, semi-series. But, you know, Doctor Strange, all these other things, they just kind of came and went. They kept, they did another one. And the second one, they said, you know what, let's start Christopher Lee at one of his all-time down points. Uh, so here he is with this guy, Red Brown, who's kind of like a football player type. He popped up in a couple of things in the late 70s, early well, 80s. Red, Red Brown is like a – Red Brown always struck me because I met, I met Red Brown like two years ago. He struck right. me as it would be Bo Spencer. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's actually a good uh, analogy. Um, not as phoning your performance, you know, drunk and pissed off as Bo Svensson, but yeah, same <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, sorry, Bo. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so there was two of these, and the first one was like, eh, okay, well, it sucked, but it was yeah. kind of watchable in a weird way. You know, he, he didn't really have a shield that was kind of on his motorcycle. He was like a motorcycle rider. Uh, so they're kind of trying to bring Ghost Rider in there a little bit, too. Uh, it just... I don't know, it was very 70s and it just didn't work. It, it, the, the only thing you watch it for is the laugh value. It's like watching the Generation X movie or something. Um, the second one, though, is positively fucking painful. <laughs> the one with Christopher Lee in it is like probably the worst thing that Marvel ever made. <laughs> have you seen this thing? It's it, it's yeah, really... It's, it's like pulling teeth. I'd rather have my teeth pulled than watch it again. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, see this. It's it's awful. It's really awful. Uh, and remember, this is the same year that the Superman movie came out. So all of a sudden, now you have this sort of you know slowly building thing of the, the comic book movies, which we won't get into tonight. Uh, but you know, you got Superman two and three, and then eventually four, the Supergirl movie, Swamp Thing. You know, God help you, Howard the Duck. Uh, well, well, they, 
Well, you know, I I think at this we do have to acknowledge that the not get into it, but we do have to acknowledge. No. I I want to acknowledge that the Superman movie. It was huge, huge, it was a it was huge cultural huge. zeitgeist. I mean, the, the impact. I mean, first of all, it made John Williams' career, for which you know we can't really thank the movie. But <laughs> so, <laughs> we, the movie should apologize to us every day for that. But uh, outside of that. You know, it was a good dramatic movie, especially for the time period. Uh, it was popcorn and, fluff, and, and, but it was God good. Damn, Christopher, Christopher Reeve, God bless him, bless his soul. Um, he was born for that. Yeah, um, definitely. That was his role for sure. And, and, and uh, the second one, in some ways, was even better. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, I always, well, you know, he always said he made them together. And they made him split him up. And then he had to go back and uh, Richard Lester. Of all people! Hard Day's <laughs> Richard Night. Lester from Hard Day's Night, yep. <laughs> of all fucking people. And he made this, like, brilliant fucking movie. Yep. And, and he had to go back to, like, flesh it out. Like, well, because, you know, they made him split it up. I think it was the South kind. This really wrench, uh, really crazy rich French guys. I never heard of them before. They did the... Weird Musketeers movies, but... Uh, yes. Well, the, the, you uh, call it weird, but they had Ian McShane in there. I kind of like those Musketeers movies. <laughs> I kind of liked them, too, but they're unusually... Yeah, they were strange. They were strange. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, anyway. Uh, but no, no. The, the, but uh, the, I wanted to mention those because they had a huge effect on what was going on. TV, too, I yep. think. They did. And because... Yeah, they did, definitely did. Yeah, so that's the one that came up last. I do not, and I've kind of hinted at this all along when we were talking about this in the promos, I do not understand why people like this show. Uh, Basically, yeah, Bill Bixby, who was playing the same exact role he always plays, like he did in The Courtship of Eddie's Father or whatever, this kind of nervous, you know, is he gay, is he not, nebbishy, you know, it's sort of existentially <laughs> pained, but not like he's a good actor. It's more just like he looks kind of lost with his mouth hanging open. <laughs> what were you going to say? No, was Bill Gay? I don't know. Was he? I don't know, but his characters always came off that way in these shows. Because he always... Yeah. He often had a you know younger sidekick, you know usually a boy, but even without that, he was always just kind of lost. You know, like I said, he he always seemed existentially pained, but he wasn't a good enough actor to bring that across. So what he would bring across was he standing there looking lost with his mouth hanging open all the time. Uh, he was sort of nebbishy and you know like Alan Alda-ish, but without the intelligence or the wit or the charm. Uh, he was just kind of like a a lump laying around that looked, you know, it's, it's like in an effeminate sense. Like you could push him and he would kind of like be doughy and give when you, when you oh, touched you him. Oh, you really didn't like poor Bill. Uh, I never liked Bill Bixby. I just thought he was kind of an ass. As an actor, as a person, I have no idea. But, you know, his roles were just always the same and they always sucked. Uh, kind of like John Ritter's another one like that, but we'll, we won't go there tonight. Uh, but, uh, you know, so this show. I don't know. Maybe people had this, especially because in the seventies, everybody was kind of like you know this peacenik sort of a thing, and we're still getting off of the the love era, and everybody was smoking a lot of dope, and they're all kind of relaxed. And I don't know. Maybe it was the kung fu thing. Maybe it was the muggings going on all the time. You know that kind of budding Death Wish Dirty Harry thing that the well, kung was building. Have we stopped? 
<laughs> well, the thing is that it felt like a bunch of I don't want to say sissies, but you know what I mean. People that aren't used to standing up for themselves, so starting to fighting, trying to be nice all the time, finally acknowledging that they have this inner rage at the wrongs of the world and that they really kind of want to yes, don't yes. deck somebody for being a jerk off as supposed to be nice to them. That kind of a thing. Uh, I, that's the only reason I can think for the show being popular. Uh, Lou Ferrigno was painted up. He was one of our, uh, back when we were in the bodybuilding days, he was one of our heroes. Uh, probably the biggest at that time. He was actually bigger in a lot of ways than Schwarzenegger. Uh, wasn't as tall, but much more developed and defined. But, you know, he always kind of was like, he was like an also-ran. He'd always win or just come in like a lesser title, or he would come in like second or third all the time. And But he'd be there every year, year after year, contest after contest. He'd be involved in the strongman competitions. He'd always be placing. He'd always be whatever, but never quite got the crown. Never really. He, he was, it was always buzzing his ass that Schwarzenegger was always on top of him for whatever reason. I, uh, I, I spent an amazing night with Lou and Caroline. Yeah, so <laughs> is he still pissed off? Is he still like that? or He's a strange person. Hey, he pissed everybody off. Ah, see, there you go. Lou, yeah, because Lou was ordering brandy and Johnny Walker blue. And then Lou goes, I, I got to go. And everybody was stuck with the bill. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> after, after drinking with people for four hours, so you know everybody's really tipsy. Yeah, sure. And we're like, where's he going? He ordered the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. And somebody who I didn't know well said, who always does that? Yeah. <laughs> so he was always kind of like the also ran schlubby, and it really rubbed his ass the wrong way. And you could see that he's pissed off. I mean, you just watch Pumping Iron, and you were like, wow, okay. And you partly feel well, sorry well, for him, and you're partly like, huh. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, the incredible, the incredible Hulk success. And it was successful. Uh, Very successful. You know, it was weird. It was a weird show because the whole show. It, it was the most depressing show on television. They had a weird show because it at some episode actually got acclaim, while some called it a shit that it was. So it's it's a bit a bit of a weird hybrid, and he got some work outside of TV because of this. yeah. Well, with Coatsy, he got the, else. <laughs> Yes, uh, and that's negligible. But um, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, the show is so fucking depressing. I mean, the music, you know, and every time this basically would happen, they changed his name for some reason. They didn't like Bruce Banner because I think at the time, and I don't remember why. I just remember it was an ELO song. Don't bring me down, Bruce. Somehow Bruce was considered like some sort of a, a gay uh, like 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 if they said called you Bruce somehow that meant you were gay I don't understand this but I knew a Bruce at that time and he was always like upset about his name and ready to fight you so this was kind of a thing there I don't understand it don't ask me what it was about but it was apparently there so they were scared to leave him as Bruce Banner so they called him David Banner or David Bruce yes. Banner um, and oh, he would yeah. wander from town to town. And kind of like a cross between the A-team and the Equalizer, but instead of going in there and solving problems of all these you know, poor, miserable schlubs all around the country, like whatever kind of issues. You know, it, was, uh, it was the angst hour after a while. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he would just start smashing shit up because he would get he would always be like like kung fu, like that horrible series with David Carradine, but without the Shaolin monk stuff that made it cool. Uh, he would kind of wander in, and everybody start picking up. He's like, oh, don't don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And they push him. Like, yeah, okay, what's sissy? Come on, whatever. And all of a sudden, and he'd Hulk up and he'd go and destroy everything. And not only just beat up the bad guys, but he ended up wrecking the town and wrecking the relationships he was building. And everybody tell him, even his friends were like, get the fuck out of here. And he would kind of wander off at the end, all sad and, you know, his little knapsack. And they play the sad. It was a horror show. I hate this show more than any show I've ever seen in my life. But somehow people thought this was the greatest thing ever. (laughs) It was so fucking depressing. I never thought it was the coolest thing ever. Oh, yeah, we, we have shows yeah. coming up that I, I really dislike. But uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, yes. So, any anything uh, else you got to say about this particular one before we get out of it? Thank God. <laughs> it's surprisingly ran a very long time. Uh, yes, it did. It was very popular and it went for like what five years, six years. It was almost as long as the Duke five, of Hazzard. Six years. And and Bill Bill <laughs> Bill Cosby, <laughs> Bill Bixby, uh, wound up directing a couple of these. Um, so he 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 got off on the you know, I guess he was like all oh, the shows the show's successful let me direct some yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes and then they kept having throughout the eighties after the show was gone finally they kept having like okay look it's the Incredible Hulk returns and the trial of the Incredible Hulk and some other else definitely Incredible oh, yeah. Hulk and they would they try to bring, bring it back in a few times yeah. They would try to bring in other like Marvel Comics heroes, and it always sucked, like Daredevil or Thor or whatever. And it just it never worked. It was like really, you want to talk comic booky in the bad sense? Yeah, this was it. Uh, and thankfully, it finally died, you know, with the dawn of the nineties. But you know, this thing plagued us for you know a decade plus, you know, maybe thirteen years. Uh, horrible show. And then they would have other things like. Uh, the Return of Swamp Thing. Remember they had the Swamp Thing movie, and then they had the Return of Swamp Thing with I think uh, Heather Locklear, uh, the Jim, oh, it's a Jim Warnowski. Yeah. yeah, and from somehow from that movie, which was kind of more jokey and ridiculous than the first one, even uh, both of them were terrible. Uh, they made a TV series out of this, which was well, just the first negligible. One, the first one was Wes Craven. Was it really? I remember Adrian Barbeau was in it, yeah. and it was a little bit more watchable. It wasn't as jokey, but it was just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, the first, the first one was Wes Craven, uh, unusually enough. And yeah, the second one was Jim Warnowski. I know I got invited to a premiere of that movie. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> I mean, and you know, you had other things that were popping up. The canon, we'll be talking uh, next week, actually, did uh, the Punisher, yeah. Dolph Lundgren one. Um, you know, obviously the Batman movies were running. The one from, what was it, 89, I think, the Tim Burton one, and then Batman Returns. Uh, the original Fantastic Four one, the one that never got released, the Corman one, which sadly is probably the, the best one that. still far. It's yeah. still the best one, <laughs> as bad as it is. Uh, you know, and well, in terms of that, yeah. Yeah, Batman Forever yeah. and Batman and Robin, which the Joel Schumacher ones really went over the top and really campy and really uh, <laughs> beyond homoerotic. Oh, no, but it's cheesy. They are cheesy. They're campy, but in the same way, they they, they both have their value, if you want to call it that. Uh, and then of course what? you had the Blade no, movies. They were good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Blade movies. There was a couple of TV things, like I mentioned Generation X earlier, which is hilarious. Oh, really? I I like the first Blade. That kicks ass. 
The first Blade is good. The third one is actually entertaining with uh, Jessica Biel and uh, Ryan Reynolds, actually. We're talking Deadpool. Yeah. Uh, but the second one is unwatchable, and everybody thinks that's great because it had uh, – who was that? Uh, Guillermo Toro or something did that. Oh, horrible. And the CG in those, oh, my God, the blood effects when the vampires yeah, well, dissolve in the blood. It's early in the time period. I mean, I also yeah. love them. He was really good sage in those things. Well, Chris Christopherson was great. You're right. He was good in those roles for sure. Uh, but he had a couple of TV movies that were popping up in the middle of this. Uh, like I mentioned, Generation X was hilarious. Really bad TV movie based on this. It was kind of like the original X-Men, and they had the New Mutants, and they had Generation X, and it was all kind of the same idea. Like, okay, let's get a bunch of awkward teenagers in here. So they figured, okay, we can exploit this, and it didn't freaking work. Uh, but that's what makes it great. And they got Matt Frewer, who was you know Max Headroom back in the 80s, doing this really right. basically a Max Headroom performance. Hilarious show. If, if you go around on the gray market, I'm sure you can find it easily enough. It's very, very funny and worth your time in that respect. But, you know, it's junk, obviously. Uh, they also did another one that's junk that's even easier to get because they put it on DVD a couple of years ago. I couldn't believe it. Nick Fury with David Hasselhoff. Really yeah. – Totally overacted, totally camped up. Uh, you know, Baron Strucker's two, you know, daughter and son, and oh my god, it, it's just, <laughs> you know, if you think he's funny in Baywatch or in his German music career videos, check out <laughs> Nick Fury because you're really gonna get a laugh out of it. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's, again, it's a TV movie, so therefore, uh, I find a lot of the TV movies much more. Uh, likable, if not watchable, than the the big Hollywood jobs. Uh, just because they're so intimate and cheesy. Uh, so as they went on with the movies now, we got, you know, however many years it was. Uh, let me just see where in the timeline these things pop up. Oh, here we go. So now we started getting to the live action stuff. So actually jumping way back for a minute to 1952, we had the Adventures of Superman. Uh, which in its first season uh, had Jordan Reeves, of course, but had Phyllis Coates in it. And I am sorry, but Phyllis Coates is a woman. I mean, I really like that woman. She was the original feminist in the good sense. She was a tough woman. And not in the sense of being like scary or whatever. It's just like, she's like, take no prisoner. It's like his girl Friday or something. One of those kind of things, you know, uh, the front page, you know, that kind of a thing. Like a Rosalind Russell been there. Uh, she come in there and took charge and took no shit from nobody. And yet she could be stylish and gorgeous and be a good love interest at the same time. I loved Phyllis Coates. Uh, unfortunately, they decided – I don't know what happened now, if she left voluntarily or if they had decided to change whatever, but they brought in Noel Neal who was in the Adam Man serial that we mentioned earlier. Now, I didn't notice her in the, the serial, but on TV – now, look, I understand she's a really nice lady. I got no problem with her personally, but – Oof, compared to Phyllis Coates, she was just a, a total screamer. She would just stand there. She would always be caught by the bad guys, her and Jimmy Olsen, and they'd be standing there shaking and scared. She might get a little mouthy, and then she would scream her lungs out. And then, of course, Superman would have to come in and save him. I was like, wow, what a difference. It was like going from you know Rosie the Riveter and stuff in the 40s to like the 50s party dress, you know, be subservient housewife. That's where the change was on that show. So I yeah, cannot yeah, we really did, watch those. We didn't. We didn't really discuss George Reeves, and and he yeah. is a icon in the TV genre. Yes, um, a troubled guy. You know, he he had a good career 
starting out, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, interesting. He was in big movies. I don't know. The, you know, the stuff you read over the years, the stuff. Yeah, did he really kill himself? Was it the mob thing? Was it an ex-girlfriend? Who the hell knows? Uh, but the overriding story that everybody's going to say is that he killed himself. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of... It's, it's like a JFK thing. There's so much evidence one way or the other. People coming yeah. out with different stories. Nobody really knows. But they do know that well, he well, was... Other than that, I mean, yeah, I, I think though when, you, when you're... He, he was actually... <clears throat> I forget he was depressive. Yeah. He was a dark, depressive guy, and he felt like was this was kind of demeaning. Like this was like his last chance. Like, okay, this is gonna my last thing I can really do. That's popular. I'm getting old, and I got kind of typecast by this in this kids show. So you know, it all. And you could see it too. You could see that definitely this. Guy, I mean, the guy was so good. And, you know, I'm not saying he was a great actor, but the guy was so good that every time you watch this ridiculous show, whatever episode you watched. Mm-hmm. You could see there were things going on behind his arms, you know. Oh yeah, and 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 uh, I think that's what made it a little fun. I think once he went to color, shot it all to hell because you know you can get a lot away with a lot in black and white. That's part of what I'm saying because the black and white season was uh, Phyllis Coates, and once they went to color. You know, again, you get the Noel Neal thing, he, and it starts getting going downhill. And like you mentioned, he gets more and more depressed at being stuck in a situation, and it just out of the writing starts repeating itself and getting a little more safe and comic booky. You know, because if you watch the first season too, it's almost like gangster movie noir esque. I mean, yes, it's a it's a Superman show for kids, but. It's darker. It's like listening to the Shadow Radio Show, and all of a sudden, now it's starting to turn into the safe, you know, kids show. And again, I can't watch the later ones. The first season, I loved to death. After that, yeah, you can keep it. <laughs> but people love it. Yeah, it's almost like it happened to the later Wonder Woman too. Oh, yeah, so. I mean, I didn't think the Wonder Woman was as bad. I still like those other seasons as much as we made fun of them. But yeah, I mean, it's it's that sort of a thing. Uh, and of course, then a decade later, the whole pop art thing happened, and uh, they decided to bring Batman out, William Dozier and all them. Uh, and instead of being you know this dark you know dark night detective, almost crap like he is nowadays, or like he was in the '30s, uh, all of a sudden he was kind of like. A camp thing, and they were making fun of society. They were making fun of, you know, you notice the cops in there are all kind of totally bumbling and inept, just like the Keystone cops. Uh, the villains are ridiculous. The, the hero himself is ridiculous. They play up very deliberately the homoerotic angles. Uh, they play up the fact that he is really a disturbed individual with some serious sexual like inhibitions and problems, like he never grew up because uh, he really has problems around the ladies. And of course, Robin's even worse because he's a kid. Uh, you know, there's a lot of strange things in the whole thing with Aunt Harriet, which is, I think they brought her in to try to make it safer and seem less gay because of the three men living together, but it actually made it worse. <laughs> it actually made it worse. I was like, it was better off without her there. Uh, because all of a sudden they have this like fawning aunt that they have to take care of, which, you know, again, it's like, Ooh, we got to take care of granny. Uh, it just really... It's a funny show. It's it's a lot of fun, especially in its first season or so. Uh, it's very clever writing and comedy writing, but it's a comedy. You know, there's nothing serious about it. So you, people that are serious about comic books uh, really hate it. But it's a it's a fun show. We just saw it again recently when it came out on Blu-ray, and I, I definitely enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, is there anything you want to say about that one before I jump on to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's two, three years of that? Um, yeah, three years. Um. 
I don't know. You probably feel about it now like the way I feel about it then. I was like, ah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I liked the colors. I, I did not like the uh, the big block pop art thing. Like, bam, pow, zing. You know, when, when, <laughs> when people made it. Contact hit. Um, it was a live-action Liechtenstein painting, and then you had all those things like, "Oh, look, it's yes, the bat, uh, you know, whatever it is, bat toilet flusher," and they'll have like little signs on top of it. Like, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I knew that, but it was just, uh, I don't know. I mean, some of the guest stars were certainly entertaining. Like the oh yeah. And they were clamoring for it. I mean, not just to be on as yeah. a villain, but even to come in those things where they, they started opening the windows and somebody would pop in like Jerry Lewis or oh, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was cool because you had you had the most amazing people. Yeah, because when Batman and Robin would, uh, uh, what is it, grapple up the side of a building, usually the same bloody building, and guys would open the window, guys and girls, and it would be like, Cool celebrities. You had Sinatra, you had Jerry Lewis, uh, like a lot of the Rat Pack guys. Like, what's going yep. on there? And you had, um, you had like big famous people. I mean, because like they were repelled up to <laughs> go to the top of the building, go into a window, and like a window would open. Hey, what are you doing here? Well, hello, citizen. Yeah, yeah, and don't forget, you had big names. You know, Frank Gorshin was an up-and-coming impressionist at the time. He apparently played at the same show that brought the Beatles to Ed Sullivan. And I remember uh, somebody, they, they interviewed somebody that was there, and it was like an older couple. And they're like, yeah, I was like, wow, this Frank Gorshin person is really popular with the kids because <laughs> he didn't know about the Beatles. I mean, you know, it, but he was a very good impressionist. He's actually the best impressionist I've ever person. seen. Much better than Fred Travellina. Forget about like assholes like Rich Little who have no talent. Uh, he actually was really good. Uh, and then you got people like Cesar Romero, who was a huge, you know, okay, yeah, he was a B actor, but he was in stuff with Fred Astaire and, um, you know, what, what's in there, Carmen Miranda and, you know, Don Amici. I mean, he, he was kind of there in the 40s. You know, he was a known name. Um, yeah. You know, Burgess Meredith, there was a lot of people here that were, you know, out there and to some extent, at least jobbing actors, if not, you know, famous before they came to the show. And then, well, that's, okay, well put. that's well put. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot, almost all, nearly all of them are character actors. But yeah, they were jobbing actors. You saw them often. Malachi Throne, wasn't he on, um, he was the boss on, uh, what, To Catch a Thief? Yeah, so It Takes yeah. a Thief. So, I mean, you know, and, and he was and, false face, so. And, yeah, false face. And, and you saw, you saw a lot of, uh, People had really good turns on occasion. Like you know, you mentioned Burgess Meredith. Yeah, it's well known for Twilight Zone thing. He's actually did some really good turns in films. Vincent I mean, Price, Liberace was... showed up. <laughs> you know. Yeah, Vincent Price, Liberace, George. Shawshank got help you. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's just it was like cat, a litany of famous think, names. Yeah, the Catwoman thing. I, I thing I think they didn't know how to handle because there were so many people that were Catwomen. Well, what that happened was they had this super sexy but very tall stage uh, you know, dancer. She was like a jazz dancer, which is Julie Newmore. And she was really the Catwoman, period. But for some reason, she had another obligation and couldn't do the movie. So they got that Lee Merriweather, who was terrible. Uh, people like her, but she was just horrible. Uh, yeah. And then later on, for some reason, they dropped Julie Newmore and got 
Eartha Kitt of all people, who was a you know jazz chanteuse who would do kind of dirty songs, uh, you know, not in the sense of like Rusty Warren, but you know, very innuendo laden songs. Oh, you uh, know Rusty Warren is a fan. Okay. Of course, you know who Rusty <laughs> Warren is. <laughs> Not everybody uh, knows Rusty Warren. Yeah. Well, hey, you're talking to me here. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. But, you know, uh, I thought that even though when I was a child, I did not understand that and I did not like Eartha Kitt. Having watched it again recently, she was definitely a number two. I mean, yeah, she's no Julie Newmore, but she really moved. She was she was sexy. I mean, she knew how to work that cat suit, and she moved around like you would not believe. I'm like... Okay, yeah, I mean, she's not really my style normally. She's got that kind of weird um, Lola Falana type face. But, you know, uh, watching that body move around, watching that body move around, I'm like, yeah, okay, I I can dig this. (laughs) So, you know, I'm good with Eartha Kitt. But, uh, yeah, it was a strange show, and it really was very, very tongue-in-cheek. And it was a, a big thing because, obviously, you know, big stars were clamoring. There was like a list of people that wanted to be on it that if they couldn't make a role for them, they brought like horrible Milton Berle on there a couple of times. He was awful. Uh, you know, they would put them in the window like we talked about, or sometimes they couldn't even get on. And it was like, okay, who are we going to let in? Ah, okay, well, we got these 25 names, and they're all bigger than this one. Forget about these three guys. Uh, interesting show, but again, yeah, a lot of people felt like it was a betrayal, and it definitely – pushed the comics of that period, especially the DC ones, into a strange realm of, you know, go-go checks and uh, comedy, if you will. Uh, so from this series, actually, one of the people that showed up on it was the Green Hornet, which you know, he had had a serial in the past. And Van Johnson, but the interesting part about that was Cato was played by Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee, even though he only had sort of a minor part here, it was kind of it wasn't as bad as you see in Dragon the Bristle story, but it was similar to that because Van Johnson was just kind of an old you know uh, drinking man's actor, if you will, uh, kind of stiff and standing there, kind of looking kind of lost. Whereas Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee, so he moved like he moved and did what he did. Uh, so it was kind of funny. He was only on these two episodes, you know, two part thing with Batman, but they gave him their own show after this. The show was strange. It shared the same sensibilities, but it was darker and trying to be more serious. I don't think it worked. It should be on DVD because I'd love to see it again. Uh, because, but, well, it was an odd mix because, yeah, as yeah. you just said, it was darker, and they tried to do something different, but at the same time, they were also trying to weigh it with the pop art of the Batman. Right, and that is not what it needed to have, especially with Bruce being there. They should have given him more. Uh, because Cato, I remember him being kind of amazing, even you know, long before. Like as a child, when I didn't even know he was Bruce Lee yet, I hadn't seen Bruce Lee films yet. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> it wasn't like watching, uh, you know, the Pink Panther movies there with Cato or something. That Cato. Uh, this was like, wow, uh, okay. You really paying attention. This guy's basically just a chauffeur. I even think King Luke was maybe Cato in a serial. Yes, he was. He actually was in the series. I didn't mention it because I don't want to get too deep in those. Uh, and technically, yeah. that wasn't from a comic. It was more from like a newspaper or pulp uh, character. Radio show, actually. But yes, Key Luke was the original Kato. Uh, good actor. He was in a lot of Charlie Chan stuff as well. Um, but anyway, 
So we'd already mentioned uh, the Shazam series, The Secret of Isis. Uh, another one that was in the middle between Wonder Woman was uh, the Spidey Super Stories from 74 to 77. Uh, the children like myself who were watching The Electric Company, uh, they had this really kind of cheesy, dumbed-down for kids uh, version of this where the Spider-Man would just kind of jump around into the, the scene with whatever, you know, who knows, the, the evil word letter-stealing guy or whatever the hell. And he wouldn't talk. He'd kind of look at you and look up at the sky, and there'd be like a word balloon there. It was, it was, they were kind of crossing it with Batman in that respect. Um, but again, we mentioned the Spider-Man and the Hulk. There was a thing called Legends of the Superheroes that I remember the, from around 1979. It was a yeah. two-part thing. Uh, the first part was odd, but it wasn't too bad because they actually had parts where they went out in the open and they were kind of like, they went to a gas station, there's Solomon Grundy pumping gas and they don't recognize him. Who's like, Solomon Grundy's like a zombie, so it's kind of obvious who it was. You know, really bad 70s type variety show comedy. But the second one, the superheroes roast, oof, wow. You want to talk about painful Borscht Belt shtick uh, and there was like, I forget, they had like a, a couple of made-up heroes under Like One guy was like an old man, and that was his power. He was like so old, and he forgot everything. And then there was a black guy. I don't remember what his deal was. And it was just, this, this is so horrible. It was actually embarrassing at you know the age of like what I was, which is pretty damn young. Uh, but, you know, people like to see these things. Now, they are out on like, you know, Warner Archives or something for those who are morbidly curious. And they had a lot of people in costume that you would never think to see. Like, you know, there's a Green Lantern running around, and there's like a Star Sapphire. And like I mentioned, Solomon Grundy and Sinestro. It's, it's weird. Uh, I mentioned the Spider-Man series. So then, other than the Hulk series that we mentioned and those other things that came up later, like Swamp Thing, there was a dearth for like a decade plus. And in the middle of this, if you want to go and say it's even two decades, uh, they had a Superboy series that was in syndication. It was kind of unwatchable. Uh, the only thing I remember is Stacey Hadick, who showed up and bared all in that horrible uh, Lucker, not the Lucker Necrophagus, what was that stupid thing? Uh, Luther the Geek, uh, that trauma mm. film, which is disgusting. Uh, Vinegarson just put it out. Uh, but there she is, you know, topless and going at it. But, you know, here she is in this homeless, uh, wholesome uh, Midwestern type family drama at the time. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't watch it. It was pretty bad. The original Flash series, which is. We watched it again on DVD recently. It's not as bad as I remembered it, but it didn't work. Um, the fellow Howard Shaken, who was doing a lot of weird comps, and then he went up to an American flag in the 80s. Uh, he took over this thing. He was in Hollywood at the time, and he was trying to make it sort of a retro 1940s but with futuristic touches for the setting. And that was cute, but it didn't quite work. And for most of the season, it was all – he didn't fight any colorful characters, which is strange for The Flash especially because he has this rogues gallery and all this crap. Uh, so he was fighting like gangsters and things. And strangely, those episodes were better than later on when they got towards the end of the show and actually brought in people like Mark Hamill as the trickster. And then even though you did have the colorful characters that I was waiting for, it was pretty painful, and that's why they canceled the show. Uh, it, was, it had a lot of the feel of Max Headroom to it. Uh, do you do you have anything good or bad to say about that show? Or? No, I pretty much agree with you. I, I, I people were trying to latch on to something at that time period. Yes, and they really. I could tell that the fandom really wanted to like this show, but there was nothing to like about it. Exactly, and, it was missing what it needed. They, as a matter of fact, I mentioned the Max Headroom connection, but because of the feel. But there was a Max Hedrum connection because they got Amanda Pies, who was, uh, 
you know, Max's uh, head reporter or whatever the hell on, on that show. So they actually physically brought over the connection. But, yeah, I mean, just the feel of it was wrong. And the problem and, was Splash himself. The problem was Splash himself. Oh, yeah, he was kind of like a, um, a skater, you know, jock type, like a surfer almost, uh, which yeah. was not really what – okay, we've got that problem again with the new Flash, but it wasn't as pronounced. Plus, he was older. Uh, it was yeah, – I don't dislike the guy, uh, John, uh, John Wesley Shipp, but he was kind of odd as a choice. And they gave him that ridiculous, like – this was the time of the Joel Schumacher Batmans where they started giving these, you know, super rubber muscle outfits with nipples showing and a lot of crap. So they gave him one too. I'm like, this is the Flash. He's supposed to be – he's not supposed to be bulky. He's supposed to be like – you know, he's a runner. So you figure he'd have a runner's physique. No, he's this big, like, you know, burly type with <laughs> this, like, ridiculous, you know, nipples sticking out and bulging muscles costume. Square jaw. Yeah. It looks mm-hmm. stupid. I'm like, well, all right, whatever. But it wasn't a horrible series. I, I do have some affection for it. It just didn't quite work. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you had other ones that tried to follow up on it. Like I mentioned, the Swamp Thing series. Uh, a couple years later, you had Lois and Clark, which was painful. Uh, mm-hmm. People love the show, especially yuppie types. Because Terry Hatcher was a flaming bitch, <laughs> and they probably liked that and recognized that in themselves. Uh, wow, horrible show. Uh, and Dean Kane, who was you know a good-looking guy, uh, but he was kind of playing the Lyle Wagner role. Like he's Superman, but he was kind of second fiddle with Terry Hatcher. I'm like, ah, I just I don't like her in the least. I couldn't even stand her in the Bond film she did, Goldeneye. Uh, you know, she it just shows. Off. Yes, thankfully. I was glad. I practically applauded. Uh, But, you know, it was just a painful show. But for some reason, the kind of women that like Mad About You and stuff like that, that's who gravitated to this. It's like, oh, yeah. They like Smallville, too. Well, yes, but my wife liked Smallville a lot. And I watched Mm. most of that with her. Not the entire series. You know, on DVDs and such. But... You know, the, the thing about Smallville is you had Tom Welling, who was kind of – this is the beginning of the CW tweeny drama type thing. You know, all these yeah. Dawson's Creek knockoffs that they do, you know, week after week and year after year, and they're still doing them. Uh, actually, that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about soon. And he, he was the original angsty emo kid, but he was kind of big enough like, – like a Dean Cain. He was big enough to be a football player, but you know, then again, he's got to be this you know, emo kid and brooding romantic whatever. And he's filled with doubt and whatever. It's like we'll get to with Arrow. Uh, and originally his girlfriend is Lana Lang, who is this really cute – I think she was actually part Eskimo, uh, Canadian girl, Kristen Krug. Uh, they had a guy who was really surprisingly good as Lex Luthor, uh, this fellow Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, he did some very nuanced performances, which shocked the hell out of me. I'm like, really? This is on some crappy, like, you know, tweeny TV show? Uh, so all mm. respect to Michael Rosenbaum. He's, he was a very good actor and a very good choice for this. Um, there was a girl that was like the nerd chic thing, which uh, we'll get to that again with Arrow. Uh, but she did it much better as Allison Mack. Uh, she was this made up person called Chloe, uh, who does not exist in the comic books and never did, never will. And there's a fellow named Sam Jones who was briefly there as Pete Ross. Uh, I liked him a lot too, but he was not for very long. Uh, later on, as the series went on, first off, you know, they really played up the fact they were out in the Midwest. Uh, so what they do, they gave him, and again, an interesting choice. John Schneider from the Dukes of Hazard wound up as his father, you know, Pa Kent, and I really liked him. And the strange thing was, his kind of down home, 
um, if you want to call it wisdom, it's, it's kind of like life. You know, he was like a, a guy that was like a bruiser and always getting in trouble and in and out of jail and shit when he was younger. So now he's kind of like, all right, you know, I know what the right thing to do is and don't do that otherwise you're going to fuck yourself up. And he, he would kind of give him good advice all the time. That reminded me so much of my late father that it was just – it almost brought tears in my eyes every time. So, again, really good performances somewhere, you know, tossed around in the middle of the Sweeney show. So it was pretty damn strong until things got later on because what happened was eventually they killed him off. I guess he had to go on do other stuff or get tired of it. So, uh, you know, he was no longer in this. Uh Tom had, uh, or you know, Clark had moved on from Lana, and he was—he I mean, wasn't even involved with Chloe. He was like, you know, kind of pining after him the whole time. He got involved with this horrible person who was in fucking House of the Dead, uh, showing off her boobs. This Erica Durant's person, as Lois Lane, obnoxious, full of herself, about nine foot two, uh, just like has nothing of value. There was nothing of value about her. She thought she was the greatest thing on earth, but she wasn't worth fifty cents. You know, one of those types. Uh, kind of like uh, you know, like a Taylor Swift, I guess. You know, one of those kind of jobs. Like, really, go fuck yourself, or a Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of a person. Like, I just hate this bitch. And, and that's where they went with the end of the show, where they were kind of playing up. You know, he's supposed to be developing this romance with Lois Lanny. He moves to Metropolis. You know, he grows up a little bit and gets to the paper and all this, the stuff like you would know from Superman or the comics or whatever. And there were still good episodes in there. There was still strong stuff going on. But as you started to lose people, you know, Michael Rosenbaum started like going away, and they gave other people in his place. Uh, you know, it just it didn't work anymore. Uh, and eventually, well, long eventually, because it went on for I don't know almost a decade, uh, they finally killed the series, uh, which was in a way a shame because at the end they started getting desperate and bringing in other superheroes and things like they're doing nowadays. You know, all of a sudden they would have like the Justice Society or whatever the hell, or Aquaman. There was actually a pretty good pilot of Aquaman that they did, uh, but then they tried to make it into a series or something afterwards. It didn't work, but the original pilot was not bad at all. Uh, so is there anything you want to say about this one before we move on? No, I didn't like any of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured, it's a tweeny drama. That's the trick. Uh, it was not really for but, the adult crowd. We're it was talking about the, 1990s, so I was... I was uh, 2001. Oh, 2001. I was, uh, I was still younger, and <laughs> nah, I, I, I appreciate stuff. It doesn't matter who it's aimed at. If I think it's good, it's good. It just, you know, something has to grab me, you know. Yeah. And and did well. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna say I don't watch these things. I did. I did watch a few, and I'm like, eh, what the hell is this? But you know, it's funny. You mentioned Rosenbaum. And I, I have to agree, the few that I saw with him, I thought it was very good. Yes, yeah, no doubt about it. And the reason I mention it's a tweeny drama is not just because it's who it's marketed to, because nowadays who really gives a shit? I mean, I know a lot of you know ostensibly straight males that are in their least twenties that are bronies. You know, they sit there watching fucking My Little Pony, which is designed for like six year old girls. That disturbs me a little bit. But you know, the, the yeah, 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 that, I know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The idea is that people ostensibly, you know, it doesn't really matter what something's marketed to; is it's whether it resonates for you personally or not. Uh, right, exactly. That, that's 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 what it's all about. Yeah, sure. But this is designed for these kind of teenage emo kids that are sitting there. You know, their their first date or whatever the hell's going on in high school is the most horrible thing in their lives, and they're going to hang themselves over if it doesn't go right. Uh, so well, therefore, this, this is pretty much the beginning. This is the birthplace. Yes, of the CW it is. Thing. It's yeah, where the CW know. stuff starts. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say before. Um, yeah. 
around the same time you had a flop series or two. Uh, Witchblade was on uh, TNT. You know, it didn't really work. It took one of the girls from Baywatch, Yancey Butler, uh, but it just, I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to do. She was actually, yeah, she was actually doable in uh, Hard Target. (laughs) And, but, uh, I understand that there were issues with her. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, during Witchblade, which was why Witchblade actually failed. Yeah, she seemed like a difficult person to deal with. Once again, a Linda Carter type in a way. Uh, But uh, they also had Birds of Prey, which is a little bit more interesting because there was one actress actress worth of shit in this whole thing. They had, first off, Birds of Prey, if you remember the comic, it's kind of fucked up. This was after they took Batgirl and they did that awful killing joke thing that Alan Moore did, which was a disgrace. Even he disowns it nowadays, uh, where they shot back, or the Joker did it, and made her into a cripple. So now she has nothing to do but sit around and play with computers, and they made her into this character called Oracle, which was it was a PC thing to try to be inclusionary and say, oh, look, you know, people that are handicapped or in a wheelchair can you know, be heroes too. All right, nice idea, but I don't know. Why you used to make a comic about this? This is too pandering and cheesy. Uh, so... That's kind of what this was. You've got this same person, and, and it's got this annoying person, Dina Meyer, that played her. She was horrible. And worse than her, they had supposedly a Black Canary. Now, Black Canary, there's a long story with that we won't get into, but in, at least in Birds of Prey, let's just take it from there. She's basically, you know, I'd say ninja trainer, so cheesy, but, you know, she's like a, a spy type, and she knows kung fu and shit, and, you know, she drives around on her motorcycle, and she really kicks ass. Here they made her this kind of nebbishy teenage girl who's all scared and she's got psychic powers. It made no fucking sense. Nobody knew why she did this. This was the real failing of the show, regardless of anything else. Uh, what worked about it was they had this gorgeous friggin' girl named Ashley Scott uh, who was playing the Huntress. Now, again, they made it a little bit too drama-y. You know, she had this sort of relationship going on with this one cop in the force was like basically out to get there for being a vigilante, but you know, it, it's that stuff didn't work at all. But just watching her to the extent that she was, you know, moving around and doing stuff, I was like, hmm, okay. Uh, I really liked her, but the show itself, it's kind of painful. Even the fanboys, I don't think liked it that much. Um, you had, well, a, I, 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 go ahead. I, I, th- I thought they were trying. I know what they wanted to, but I watched. I watched the pilot. I think it was like a 90-minute pilot. And then then I watched the two episodes. And I was getting the feeling that somebody in production was really interested in nerd girl porn. And they figured, (laughs) how can... can, You know, because it's very popular. And they're probably trying to figure, how can we get the, the, the fanboy geek thing who's into nerd girl porn into costume adventure chick thing, you know? Yep. And this is what's going on in my sick, deviant mind. Because <laughs> I'm watching this thing going, I, yeah, that's that's my thing somebody in production was thinking of the whole time. And the whole thing fell apart. Yeah, it did fall apart. Uh, <laughs> so, we're talking about 2001 here, basically. So, other than Smallville now, the only thing that's going on, we have one year where they put out a Blade TV series, which bombed. And that's it. So we're talking about an entire decade plus where nothing happened once again, Uh, just kind of like the 90s, basically. So here we go in 2012, 
and the CW kicks in with a vengeance, and Arrow comes about. Uh, this show, all right. My wife was watching it for at least three years, maybe four years before I wow. could even start wow. to watch it. I was like, this is painful. It, too much of it reminded me of torture porn. Uh, basically, wow. they spent a hell of a lot of time with this fellow, Stephen Amell. He brings back the Tom Welling tortured emo kid type thing, and he's guilty about everything in the fucking world. is his fault. Uh, and he walks around looking like kind of... I won't say he's like a horrible actor. He's not quite like wooden, but it feels that way a lot of times because that's all they give him to do is be guilty. Yeah. All they give him to do is be guilty and and tortured. So he just walks around like, uh, he has a sad like puppy dog look on his face all the time. Uh, He keeps getting more and more scars all over his body and they literally show off his chest or whatever because he's not like overly built, but you know, he's not out of shape. Uh, And they give him this ridiculous backstory. Now, I grew up with the Green Arrow when it was through the relevancy stuff that Denny O'Neill did with Neil Adams, and then you know basically he was the, an anarchist, uh, to put it in nice terms. I mean politically we're talking about not like a bomb buildings kind of shit. We're talking about like a real anarchist. Uh, so he was Mister Anti-Government. You know let's right wrongs. This is all bullshit. The way you're seeing things is wrong, especially dealing with Green Lantern, who was painted as kind of like the cosmic cop, and he was like a right winger. And they would kind of go around, and he, he took them around to see the country, and they would kind of travel the country and find all these things, you know, social causes or whatever. And the idea was, you know, it was enlightening Green Lantern, trying to make him a more developed person. Uh, sometimes it came off a little strident, it's true. But basically, you know, Green Lantern was a good-hearted, left-leaning, you know, do-gooder uh, who really wanted to make things better for people. And at one point in Bernie history – Sanders. Yeah, exactly. At one point in history, he ran for mayor. You know, he's he's like a good guy. Well, for some reason, this fellow Mike Grell that drew him a lot of times uh, after Adams left uh, decided in the eighties to do this stupid fucking thing called like the was it the uh, the something hunters? I forget what it was the bow hunters or some shit. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. It was awful, and it made him into this like. You know, not right wing, but he was going around killing people, and it was all like, you know, pre torture porn. It was all that grim and gritty shit that got me out of comics in the first place, uh, where these like nerd fanboys think they know what you know the real world's about because it's all horrible and evil, and you got to be tough like Charlie Bronson. We'll get to that next week, uh, but you know, all that like horseshit <laughs> neocon crap, which is just totally imaginary and in people's insane minds, but they think this is real and it's more realistic. So, uh, basically, they took that template and brought it to this show, especially in the first couple of seasons. So he's there, and they spent a lot of time with him, flashing back to his time on this island where he had to learn how to you know, become the, the Green Arrow eventually, but he's not even that yet. Uh, and he's fighting with or part of this mercenary group, and this guy, Slade, who's really um, – Deathstroke from the Teen Titans comics, but he's not because he's some big fat Australian guy. He couldn't stand that fucking guy. Uh, but you know, it was just bad, bad television, bad screenwriting. It just sucked but ass. They, it was they, really hard to watch. But, but, they, but they did bring in John Barrowman. Uh, well, that's what happened. Great As it went yeah. on. As it went on, it started to change. Now, first off, he started introducing characters. Originally, he had a Black Canary who is now on uh, another show, which we'll get to eventually here, uh, Katie Lotz. And she was his girlfriend, but she was also a lesbian. I don't know what the hell that was all about. Um, 
and she was out on the cruise ship with him because he used to be a rich guy. It was part of his story in, in the comics too. And uh, he ended up finding out that you know he, he lost his money basically, or you know finding out that there's more to life than just you know being a rich asshole. And that's why he developed his social conscience. Well, here that happens to some extent, especially as you move on through the series. But basically, he's going around in the beginning, being this you know tortured vigilante and continually facing off with this guy Slade who just won't die. Uh, and his girlfriend gets killed at some point, and she's just totally obnoxious. She was very hard to deal with in this show. Uh, later on, there's another show that she's not as bad in, but we'll get to that. Um, he had this fellow, uh, this guy Diggle, you know, which later on they gave him a code name. He doesn't exist in the comic books. Uh, basically, you know, once again they've got to give him the the uh, intelligent, uh, you know, wise black sidekick type thing that that, that archetype they love to use. Uh, he's okay, but you know, there's really no reason for him to be there other than that. Uh, and then they give him this annoying girl, Felicity Smoke, which they can't even spell right. It's like Smoak. She is horrible. She is the geek porn that you were talking about from Birds of Prey, plus Chloe, but without any of the charm of any of those. Uh, Really fucking annoying. And now uh, they just made her into Oracle, but they were scared to call her that. So they made up this lame code name that we couldn't even hear them because they kind of bumbled it. But then they finally did it in the next episode, and they were playing up like, ooh, I'd love to hear that name. All those crutches. I'm like, oh, my God. I practically slapped my forehead. I was so embarrassed. Overwatch. I'm like, who designed this? Like a four-year-old? It's the kind of name like a, like a juvenile would come up with. Uh, horrible. So now she's crippled, and she's basically the Oracle character. But horrible characters. Uh, but then later on, this show started to change a bit. And all of a sudden, they bring in this you know DA – because uh, they also have this guy who is uh, Detective Lance. Now, Larry Lance is another story from the Congress we won't get into, but he's not supposed to be who he is here. <coughs> so they bring in this guy, Paul Blackthorn, who I think is British or New Zealander, I forget which, and sounds nothing like this, but he decides to do his whole thing. It's like a Bogart stick, but it's a really bad Bogart stick, see? And I'm like, oh my god. Well, anyway, again, this is part of what made those first couple seasons unwatchable. So finally, they bring in his daughter, who's like an assistant DA or something. And after the annoying girl dies, or supposedly dies, she decides to take over because she's her sister and become the Black Canary. All right, she's a little bit strange looking in some ways, but I kind of like her. And she sure fills out that suit better. (laughs) And then they finally gave her the Canary Cry, and everything starts getting a little bit better. They bring in John Barrowman. Who was, you know, Captain Jack from uh, Torchwood, and you know, I, I just love him. He just brings a layer of—I hate to say a veneer of class, but he, he brings some quality with him. Let's put it that way. Uh, so there he is playing this, you know, again stupid character from the comics, Merline, uh, and he's supposed to be the baddie. And then they bring in this whole nonsense about—you know—if he's going on through the comic books, you recognize things that they're doing wrong. Like they're taking Batman characters like Ra's al Ghul and Talia, but now they're like annoying New Zealanders. Uh, and you know, eventually they have this whole thing where it always is uh, you know the Green Arrow going to become Ra's al Ghul? Oh no, he doesn't want to do it. And then oh wait, we can bring the the other girl back to life, and they do, but she's crazy. And then he had a sister in this, which they also gave him, which again wasn't from the comics. This girl Thea, uh, what the hell's her name? Uh, Willa Holland. 
And in the beginning, I was like, you know, this fucking girl, she needs to eat a sandwich <laughs> because she was like anorexic. I mean, you could see her ribs. She was so like skinny. And then all of a sudden, she started becoming, uh, they called her the Red Arrow, but really she was Speedy from the comics. And they probably did that because originally they set her up like she used to be a druggie and all this kind of crap. So, okay, fine. So I fit in. Uh, but, you know, she was too sickly and thin. So I'm like, this isn't going to work. But eventually, I think this this past season, I guess she finally, you know, ate some lunch or something, and I really started to like her. So it looks like now they might be killing her off. I don't know what's really going on. I'm like, fuck you. Finally, I'm, a, I'm attracted to this girl. Finally, she's doing a good job. She actually looks the part. She's actually playing it well. You know, it's not like it was before, and you're going to kill her off? Uh, uh, so, this has got to uh, be podcast of the year. She ate some lunch. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, it's unbelievable. So it's finally starting to work. Uh, but I understand that the fanboys don't like it. So that's just some of our fanboys. Uh, <laughs> the last two seasons I actually liked. Uh, they're not perfect. It's still got a lot of that torture porn, go back to the island shit. But it's not as bad. You know, a lot of the annoying characters are gone or played down. Uh, a lot of the annoying relationships are vanished. The one thing that still pisses not just me but my wife off is that, once again, they played to the fanboys and the geeks and said, okay, well, you know, he's supposed to be involved with the Black Canary, right? And he was involved with the one, and I was involved with the other one. Nope, we're going to give him to the Chloe character, the geek girl. So they give it to this annoying fucking Felicity Smoke, and now, of course, he's in the wheelchair, so now he's guilty about that. And, you know, is he going to marry her? I don't know. Ugh, please. The, the whole thing was a mistake. You know, they, they should just write that character off. But, you know, nonetheless, they won't do it because the geeks love her. Uh, <laughs> So, what is your take on Arrow? I, I, uh, I'm not sure what to think about this show. It's, yeah, uh, it's at it's at times dark. It's at times sullen, uh, sullenly played by the lead. I don't know this whole posturing thing. Uh, you know, they want to be something that connects to the past. You know, comic books, and as well, they want to be the CW, you know, template. thing. Yeah. For, template, yes, thank you, template. And and um, I'm not sure what to think about the show. I I like seeing some familiar faces, and yeah. most of them are British and Aussie, which uh, you're making fun of tonight. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I can't stand those but Aussie no, accents; they're so annoying. <laughs> Yeah, it probably shows me though that that they're probably filming it in New Zealand or if not if not England Very possible. somewhere. Yeah. Um yeah. So, you know, so I'm thinking, Wow, there's so and so. I know that guy or I saw that guy in some really low budget Australian movie. What the hell is he doing here? I know <laughs> he's in the bio, so they're probably shooting it somewhere there. It's cheap, cost of like I'm not sure how you feel about this show. Yeah. I I think, along with The Flash, if you intend to cover this... Yes, I will. Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, eh, I'm not sure. We I actually... Think, I think jo John Barrowman is, is certainly a bright spot, because the guy, mm -hmm. he's, he's he's like, you know, think of him what you will, but he's like a freaking beacon of light sometimes, I think. Yes. He, yes. he really... Upgrades material even Thank if you. he's working at half speed. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I don't know what to feel about it, but I'm getting into it now because, um, you know, the more that there is Katie Cassidy's Black Canary on screen, the more that there is 
you know, the now finally ate a sandwich and I'm doing my role properly instead of just paying a sullen drug addict that throws a fit, Willa Holland is Thea. Now that they've got Captain Jack, you know, John Barrowman in there a lot, like you said, he brings the quality with him. He brings that little bit of light. Uh, this is all really working for me. Uh, I didn't care for the guy they were playing. They was playing Roy. I'm glad they got rid of him, although he sort of came back recently. Uh, I didn't care for the original Black Canary, but she works in another show that we'll get to in a minute. Uh, I kind of mixed on Daigle. You know, he, he is, he isn't, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I really am amused by and don't particularly like that the guy that talks like Bogart all the time. Uh, right. And I just, I don't know. I'm sorry. Felicity Smoke has got to die. <laughs> I don't know. She just can't be there anymore. <laughs> uh, too fucking annoying. Uh, but, you know, what is this saying? It's saying that the show's got flaws even now that I sort of like it. When I didn't like it, and I couldn't even watch it. My wife would watch it. I'm like, this is just shit. And I would sit there and like heckle it until she would turn it off or you know, I'd just you know, walk away and do something else. Uh, this went on for a couple of years. So that I didn't even do that with Smallville. So that says that the show is flawed, but it has some promise as well. So where are they going to take it next? I don't know. We'll see. I'm hoping that it continues to go in a good direction and not in a bad one, but anything's possible. Uh, so as you had mentioned, uh, during this time period, about two years later, they brought about The Flash, which we both really like. I mean, talking about me and my wife. Um, they got this new fellow, Grant Gustin, who I understand was one of these people from Glee or something. I don't know. I don't watch that, but it's some kind of fame show or something. Um, he's – I'll get to the problem with the show in a minute. Uh, they've got this girl, Candace Patton, who is supposed to be Iris, who ends up being his wife eventually. But right now they don't know what they're like, living together as you know, stepbrother and stepsister or some crap because his parents, his father got sent to jail for years, which he finally freed him. Uh, because of the murder of his mother, which was done by Professor Zoom, but they can never prove that, so they thought it was the father. Um, and he grew up with the father's old partner, because the guy was, used to be a cop, uh, which is uh, Detective Joe West, Jesse Martin. Um, he gets you know, struck in with the, the Flash thing, as you know, the whole stupid origin story, and he winds up hanging around at Star Labs a lot, which is a real thing from the comics. And gets involved with basically somebody who ends up being Killer Frost, which he thought was amusing in the first place uh, from the Firestorm comics. Uh, she's actually involved with a fellow named Firestorm. Um, but she's also like some producer of like shitty slasher films. Just so crap. Daniel Pennebaker. Um, they have this fellow, Carlos Valdez, who is kind of – you really know that they're trying to say that he is gay and hasn't come out of the closet yet or hasn't figured it out yet, but they haven't gotten there yet. They just kind of like keep hinting at it. You know, his his few romantic relationships keep failing, and he keeps, you know, latching on to father figures. And, you know, you can really tell. It's like just about there, and they don't want to let it out yet. Uh, like they're keeping the cat in the bag. Uh, and they have this guy who wound up originally being Zoom and then later got more confused, uh, Tom Cavanaugh, who was Harrison Wells, the original doctor that caused this whole fucking thing in the first place. Uh, <laughs> what, what worked about this show and what does work about this show is that it's pretty true to the feeling of the Flash comic and comics in general. Like Not the, the dark and depressing, grim and gritty bullshit like we've been talking about, but comics per se, like the fun stuff. You know, okay, look, here's the Flash, and he's going to fight his rogues gallery, and here comes Captain Cold, and next week it's going to be Gorilla Grodd, and the week after that it's going to be Dr. Light, and, and whatever the hell it is. 
and it works. I mean, I know that they're doing a little bit of CG, but a lot of it is just you know costumes and acting, and it pulls it off, which is strange. You don't expect that from years worth of really flawed, really flop, really let's be safe and do a tweeny drama and then put like a little bit of veneer of superhero on top of it and try to get a couple of fanboys in. They're actually making a costume comic book drama for the first time ever, and it works. Um, the problem with it is that it's a little too happy. Uh, I always call it like it's like everybody there is stoned because they're always walking around with a goofy ass grin on their face. You know, whether you're talking about Grant Gustin's Barry Allen, Candace Patton's Iris West, uh, you know, even Tom Cavanaugh's The Baddie, Harrison Wells, uh, Jesse Martin's Joe West, Daniel Panabaker, they're all walking around like this shitty grin 24 7, no matter what's going on, unless they're supposed to be scared in that scene, in which case they'll like, you know, have a big, <gasps> you know, goofy, like wide eyed look and mouth hanging open, and then they'll go back to the goofy ass grin. And it's like, Okay, I know you're trying to be a lighter, you know, more not family friendly, but more fun, more comic booky show, and that's good. I like that. But do you have to really sell it that hard? So that to me felt fake and cheesy. Uh but you know, I like where they're going with it. Um I did not like the lame cop that they pulled in as one of uh, Barry's, you know, fake love interests, which he the funny thing is this guy Grant Gustin has no range whatsoever. Once again, he's kind of like the stoner version of the CW uh, emo kid where he's got – he's sort of troubled, but he's too like, uh, man, he has another joint and big old smile on his face to worry about it too much. You know, He's not really that existentially concerned. Uh and he keeps sort of getting involved with these girls, but you know, like one of them was actually uh, the Linda Park, uh, Doctor Light. Uh, but he's never really interested in. Him. There's never really much going on. They seem to be a lot more interested in him and do a lot more acting than he can. So he just kind of walks around like, eh, okay, whatever. Oh, you left me. Oh, okay, well, I guess it didn't work out. Take it easy, dude. <laughs> you know, it's almost like Bill and Ted. I mean, so that doesn't mm-hmm. fucking work. You know, uh, overall, I do really like the show and I like what's going. For is just flawed once again. Uh, so, what did you want to say about it, since you had mentioned earlier when we talked to John Arrow? Um, uh, I'm not sure what to think of this yet. Uh, you, you evidently like it a lot more than I do. Yeah, uh, it's all it's all a new show. You know, it's it's they're they're really cramming a lot of stuff in there. It's interesting. It's as far as I'm concerned. Let's see how it progresses. It's new. It's fresh. Let's see what happens. Now, have, before we go on to the other five CW titles, <laughs> um, <laughs> have you seen Have you seen Daredevil? Yes, I have, and I hate it. I hate it with a vengeance. Oh no! Yes. Oh uh, shit! <laughs> actually, I was going to leave the Marvel film, the Marvel TV shows together because the only one that sort of works that I've seen, I haven't seen Agents of Shield. I'll say that, and I have not seen Jessica Jones, which I know you wanted to get to. Uh, so those uh. two, I can't comment on. But oh, uh, no. I, oh no! I see another epic podcast in the Agent <laughs> Carter. Agent Carter, I did like in a way, but we've got issues with that too. But we, we I said to my wife the other day, we we're checking this out, and I'm like, you know, DC can't make a movie to save their fucking lives, and Marvel can't make a TV show to save their fucking lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yes. uh, well, well. If we're, we're going to talk about Agent Carter, I love that character and that actress. Yes. In, uh, well, in, I love the character. In the, in the, <laughs> well, no, I, I liked her. No, I liked her when she appeared in Captain Marvel. Yes, the first in the movie. Captain, she was uh, in Captain America. Yes, Captain America. Please forgive me, geek fans. 
Uh, <laughs> Captain America. Now you know how they can be. Yes. And uh, uh, and I liked her, and and there's something about her. But I well, watched one one and a half, and I realized they totally screwed it up. They dropped yes. the ball. And I understand that they want to do a Wonder Woman on it because like the the numbers aren't huge for them. Okay. And so they want they want to update it, which is like how are you going to do that now? Because you're you're really screwing up the timeline with the movies, which is okay. supposed to run concurrent to. Here's my quick take so, on the show. I think please. that it's cool. That first off, I loved her in the Captain America movie. You are correct. The character is great, uh, and she yeah. was fine in the movie. Uh, what I like about the show is the '40s retro atmosphere. They make yeah, a point of like throwing on at least one good obscure swing song every episode, and they usually are obscure. They're not ones you're going to hear even if you know swing. It's like, okay, I've never heard that one before. This is a strange one to pull out. Uh, that will be you know appropriate to the plot or whatever. Uh, I do like that setting. And I like the fact that they brought in just about everybody from the Captain America movie except for Chris Evans and uh, the guy who played the Falcon because you had the whole Howling Commandos in there. They even brought in the guy who's playing that stupid Damien Dark on Arrow who was actually Dum Dum Dugan in the movie. There he is again as Dum Dum Dugan. So, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, I love that movie by that – oh, my God, that movie about the werewolves. Do you remember that? Which one? Uh, Company of Wolves? <gasps> no, 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 no. Um, uh, not the, uh, no, not uh, getting close. Um, he was uh, that movie about the mercenaries that are on a field mission, sort of like, uh, sort of oh. like a southern British style. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. I can't think of the name, but you're right, you're right. Yeah, he was great but, in that. Yeah, I mean, he's a strange-looking guy, and I don't like him as Damien Dark, but I was surprised to see that he was, and not just in the show, but actually was from the movie, Dum Dum Dugan, you know, however briefly. Yeah. And he kind of worked there. Um, but So that's stuff I like about it. What I don't like is the fellow they have playing Jarvis, who's just kind of like, first of all, he's strange-looking, and secondly, he's just too much of a nebbish. Uh, and secondly, it turns out that she's a little bit one-note. Uh, first off, she's a strange-looking woman. She's a little bit zoftig and with a, a strange sort of bovine face where her eyes are a little too close together, which you don't notice in the movie, but when you see her like episode after episode on TV, you know, we watched the whole season, the first season the other day on DVD, and it's like, oh, this is really distracting. Um, and she you don't like really, that sometimes? Mm, <laughs> depends, depends, but not her. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever. You know, not offensively okay. bad, just like, she's strange looking, it's distracting. Uh, and she's one note feminist, you know, okay, you know, the usual shit they've been pulling out since the 90s. Like, okay, oh, okay I'm the tough broad, and I'm going to come in, and all you men are helpless without me, and, you know, I'm, I'm well, going to do everything well, for you. I'm like, please. Well, it's a great detail about that. I just think that the show could have been better. It could have been a lot better. <laughs> It could have been, okay. I it's agree. got potential. It it's got potential, but it doesn't fulfill it. And you were talking about how they wanted to change it. They're actually canceling yeah. it because she found herself another job. She found herself another job, yeah. and they're canceling it. So, uh, but it could have been something much better than it was. And I think they had some great ideas. It just didn't fulfill its promise. Let's put it that way. Um, so, so did you say you hated the fuck out of Daredevil? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> Two episodes, and it was like, I, I swear to God, I felt like I was watching Saw. It was so dark and so painful. Uh, 
Oh, I yeah. Loved I mean, it. Really? The backstory of Alan Murdoch, we knew that was kind of dark in the first place, him being blind. That weird looking fuck is Foggy Nelson. Uh, what's her face there? Karen Page. I mean, she's not yet the, the prostitute porn star yet, but I mean, come on. Uh, drug addict porn star prostitute. Yes, this is really from the comics. Uh, but, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I don't like the people in it. Did you I watch don't like the. Did you give up? I watched two whole episodes, the first two. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, it got you, worse. You there you go. I mean, for me, it got better because it got darker and strangely Ugh. even more sick and demented. Yeah, see, I just, uh, no, I can't deal with this. This just sucks. That, that's that grim and gritty shit that I hate, that fanboy crap. Like, oh, yeah, we've got to make Batman the evil killer, and, and he's going to rip out the throat of you know, every like stupid supervillain he runs up. Please, grow up. But, but you miss, <laughs> I mean, you're not like that, but you know. Wait, you, yeah, but you missed Vincent D'Onofrio going like totally bananas. And no, introduction of some strange Asian chick and, and, and <laughs> uh, strange Asian uh, chick. Uh, but yeah, I, young, whoever she is, yeah, no, she was. She was like, we're gonna introduce some strange Asian chick who looks Spanish. Who, I uh, really hated that show. So I don't know. Is there anything you just wanted to say? Because there's only a couple shows left, and the interest on not keeping this an epic show. <laughs> Uh, no. Well, you hated Daredevil, so we can't really discuss that. What I like. <laughs> no, go ahead. If something you like, man, go for it. Because you know, it's just, I, I told you things I like that you don't like, so why not? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I actually really liked it. I mean, you know, it's created by Drew Goddard, who did a couple of things that I normally don't like, but he did one or two things I like. And I don't know who the hell Charlie Cox is. I think he's an unusual-looking actor for a lead. Mm-hmm. And this and. Um, and the promos for season two, which hadn't started yet. This is a Netflix show, by the way. He gained about 40 pounds. I like to see how they get around this. Well, he, um, he's not as weird looking as the guy that plays Foggy Nelson. That's all I can say. Oh, my God. Where'd they find him? Yeah, he's unusual looking. Yeah. It's always funny how. Oh, yeah. It's always yeah. funny how one of us tries to be nicer and the other one just goes for it. <laughs> Whatever it is, we flip the guy named Elton Henson. I have no idea who Elton Henson is. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio really, uh, really knocked it out of the park for me. I thought he was a complete freaking psychotic. Mm-hmm. And he, since we gave up after two episodes, he goes yeah. places with this ball. Really interesting. Uh, yeah, the 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 chick exporting star thing that that gets even weirder. I I I don't even know where they're going with that. They keep it wrapping around and folding it. I've watched the whole first season. Um, now they're bringing in John Bernthal as Frank Castle in season okay. two. Really, the Punisher. And, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is like, oh, they're going. Well, they're going to kill uh, people. What else does the Punisher do? <laughs> no, but I mean like. Can we get somebody like we didn't automatically think? Oh, a psychotic, evil bastard! But uh, <laughs> they aren't that creative. Yeah, yeah, Burnthal kind of fits. <laughs> now, um, I want to jump aside though and go to uh, Supergirl, which I again saw like two or three episodes of, and okay. you know the pilot worked pretty well, which surprised me. Again, another Glee alumni, this person Melissa Benoist, she's really overly geeky. But, you know, it still sort of worked despite her and despite this 
fucking Callista Flockhart, who was, I don't know, she was popped for some crap show like Murphy Brown or something. I don't remember what it was. Uh, oh, she, she, Harrison Ford. she is horrible. Horrible. What an evil, rotten bitch. She reminds me of my fucking boss. I hate this woman. And I've actually heard people talk about, like, oh, yeah, you know, she, she's a strong woman in a position of power. I'm like, she's a bitch. I hate this woman. It's totally manipulative, totally rotten, totally self-interested. Uh... You know, it's just like the, the pain you feel watching one of these episodes is like watching an endurance test as the geeky, you know, Benoist who's playing Kara uh, goes in there and basically gets coffee and suggests ideas about her alter ego, who this other one is basically a stalker fangirl of. You know, her job is like, you know, they're a big reporter or the hell she's supposed to be. Uh, and then have her shot down by this rotten, you know, look down your nose at everybody, bitch. I hate this woman. Uh you know, the rest of the show is kind of middling at best. You know, the pilots had some promise, but the show or two that I saw afterwards totally did not deliver on it. I was not happy with them at all. Uh, the Bizarro episode was embarrassing. That was totally not Bizarro. It just kind of sucked. Um, you know, it's just it, – I can't get past the endless geekiness, which is so overplayed, and this horrible woman being – you know, supposedly – I don't know if she's supposed to be comic relief or likable or what, but she's just – Painful. I, Calissa Flockhart is terrible. I don't know what she does in anything else in life, but from this role, I hate her guts. She was in the show you mentioned. Um, some kind of lawyer show or some crap. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. What the hell Harrison Ford saw her? I have no idea. She's worse than Tia Leone. I mean, she's really a nasty, rotten woman, at least in terms of what I'm seeing here. I don't, I can't speak for her as a person. but. So, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say about this one before we jump out of it? No. no yeah. No. So, um, one I do like a lot is uh, iZombie, which actually is from a comic book, believe it or not. Uh, it's one of those indie jobs like Vertigo or some crap. Uh, somebody named Rose McIver, who's actually uh, some kind of New Zealander or Aussie, but she totally hides her accent, which, okay, it's fine. And she's really fucking cute as a zombie because she doesn't go like traditional zombie. They basically make her like a goth girl. So she's got all this like pale makeup on so she looks like she never sees any fun. And and she's got, well, she, of course she's supposed to be dead, but you know. Uh, you think dead pictures of a zombie, she's rotting. That's not the case. She's really cute. And she's got like this little uh, kind of like a Louise Brooks wig basically, but it's all white. Okay. And I don't know. I, I just she's like totally cute to me. And they've got this partner of hers. She's like down in a morgue, basically. It's a perfect job for her because she gets to eat brains while she's going and doing whatever. Uh, and they've got this guy, this Rahul Kohli, who's a, a English uh, Indian fellow, a uh, really likable guy. And there is a cop uh, who gets involved with them that kind of knows the secret. Not that, not that she's a zombie, but she's a, she plays off like she's a psychic. Because when she eats the brain, she takes on their personality and some of their memories. Uh, and they go around – basically, it's like CSI but with like some zombie trappings. Uh, and the three of them are pretty likable. Uh, I certainly like the Rahul and uh, Rose. And she's got some annoying yuppie boyfriend who <laughs> one time only did I respect this guy. There was one time when he basically flipped out and got him a shotgun and started killing off all these drug dealing zombies. Because there's a guy that's uh, uh, David Anders. He's uh, the, uh, another fellow zombie from the boat. I think he's actually the one that infected her in the first place. And he becomes like this big time drug dealer, you know, selling basically selling brains to uh, rich zombies that he makes, uh, you know, like a cottage industry. And 
basically the boyfriend just flipped out and started killing all these sons of bitches and they totally like nanned up for one episode. I'm like, you know, I finally respect this guy. And then of course that was the end of it. Now he's just like a sissy again. Uh, <laughs> and there's this whole thing about like corporate malfeasance because they got these guys that made this thing Max Rager, which is basically like a Jolt Cola kind of a thing. Uh, and they've got this really obnoxious fella. Uh, I think it's this guy. It's either uh, this Alex Panovic as Julian Dupont, or it's Eddie Jameson as Mr. Boss. I don't, can't remember which because I don't remember what his name is. But he's like running the Max Rager company, and he's like in between being a complete shithead and like you know sending people to get eaten by zombies or whatever, and doing these obnoxious things, almost like the uh, the Flint water thing. Like, okay, well, let's just poison everybody and screw them. We got the good water here. In between that, he's like you know doing Zen meditation and trying to be like, oh look, I'm an involved person, yeah, right? Typical corporate shit. <laughs> so it's a really fun, stupid show for what it is. We really got a kick out of that one too. Uh, have you seen this one? You have any thoughts on it? No, I just saw the promos. I have not seen it. Uh, yeah. I, it's I, worth I, checking it's on out. My radar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, worth checking out. Um, so one of the ones I want to mention before when I was talking about Arrow is Legends of Tomorrow, which is a train wreck, but an amusing train wreck. It's it's kind of you really don't want to take your eyes off. Uh, what they did was they took people from Flash. They took uh, the Firestorm character, or the second Firestorm, which was uh, this fella. They got the Professor Martin Stein, but they also got this uh, kid, Jax Jackson, who was like a – it's a long story, but he was like a garage mechanic. They brought him in as the second Firestorm. Uh, and they got this – couple of people from Arrow, like uh, the Brandon Ruth as the Adam, Ray Palmer. Uh, they've got this original Black Canary who, for no reason whatsoever, they brought the real Black Canary on and says, oh, you could be the White Canary now, just so they you know, could explain this away. Uh, but here she's actually likable, this Katie Lotz, the one that was like his first girlfriend and then a lesbian, and I don't know what the hell was going on there. Uh, here she's actually got a good sense of humor. She kicks ass like she's supposed to. And I was like, you know, I kind of like her here. I mean, she's actually, I don't want to say attractive, but she, it, as the role in the in the way she's playing, it's like, this works. Okay, I can deal with that. Um, they also, unfortunately, brought over Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Wow. There's this really funny-looking girl. With, like, she's all teeth. Uh, Ciara Renee. Uh, and they're supposed to be, because this Hawkman guy he died off anyway, which is a fool. But uh, And he's kind of freakish-looking, too. A huge jaw and everything. And they brought him over there to because supposedly this whole conceit is oh and then they bring over two more people from Flash I forgot they brought over two baddies so they brought over Captain Cold this fellow Wentworth Miller who's really kind of snide and and he's got this strange homoerotic relationship with this fellow uh, Dominic Purcell who's Heatwave and he's just like kind of all aggro and I don't know what the deal is between the two of them but even on the Flash it was kind of like. Something's going on there. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't quite right. Uh, so they came over to this show, which is bizarre. Like, what the hell are these two villains doing with everybody else here? And who's running the whole show here? And this is why this show's together, supposedly, in the first place. Friggin' Rory from Doctor Who. Uh, so, you know, Mr. Mom there, his big-ass nose that you remember from when he was, you know, Mr. Uh, Amy Pond is even more pronounced because he decided to get a little goatee. <laughs> And try to be like, you know, okay, I'm going to be hip now as this uh, fellow Rip Hunter Time Master who's like a really low-rent bit character from DC. And he's got this little goatee, and he's trying to be basically Doctor Who. He's trying to be like the David Tennant Doctor Who and with his huge-ass nose, and he sucks at it. He can't pull it off at all. Um, and 
and they've actually got a fake TARDIS. It's like a, it's, it's actually a spaceship, but it talks to him. It's like a talking TARDIS. I'm like, oh my god! And they go back and forth through time with this. He recruits all these clowns from the other two shows that were basically, you know, bit players that I guess they figured they had no future there. So here you go. You guys can get a, a full time role over here, <laughs> doing this thing where you go back and forth through time chasing this loser, Vandal Savage, another one of these guys that. I think he's supposed to be Cajun. He, I cannot comprehend when this guy talks. He like, told blah 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 blah. Uh, what the fuck did you say? And every time I ask him, I was like, "What did you say?" He's like, "I don't know." He's, he's incomprehensible. Somebody's got to give this guy elocution uh, lessons. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't seen it at all. So, uh, but I definitely uh, want to check it out now. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is hilarious in a lot of respects. I like about half of the people here. You know, I like the uh, Brandon Ruth as the Adam. I like Martin Stein. You know, as half a firestorm. I'm really starting to like uh, Katie Lotz's, you know, White Canary, if you will. And of course, you know, it's it's Arthur Darville. I mean, he's a clown. It's freaking Rory, but you know, it's funny to see him, and therefore, it's like okay, well, I, I sort of like him in a in a grudging sense, like oh, that's Rory, you know, give him a nudge and a wink. Uh, but the rest of them are just like, uh, oh, okay, no, I will say that I like Captain Cold. He's just kind of, he's got a charm about him, but wow. I mean, it, it's just, what, they're playing up this relationship between him and the other one. I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. <laughs> uh, but it's really kind of a train wreck just because the whole conceit of the show is bizarre. Like, they're just going back and forth through time, chasing them around. And who shows up in there? But sure enough, that again, Damien Dark from The Arrow. He was there in 1976 trying to buy weapons or some crap. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's a really new show. It's only been for like three weeks. So uh, if yeah. you really want to laugh, it's worth checking out, especially if you like The Flash and Arrow. And I think the last one I really wanted to address here, I mean, well, you can talk I, about I, Gotham I if you want. But there's another one? Which one? Well, you've got stuff like Gotham and Jessica Jones that I haven't seen, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Actually, I saw an episode of Gotham. It sucked. But uh, the only one I wanted to mention here was Constantine because I just loved that fucking show. Uh, it's a damn shame. I was amazed that it was on air. NBC put it on in primetime. And it was very dark and very metaphysical, shall we say. I mean, a lot of it was bullshit, but there was stuff in there that was kind of right. And I was like... Ooh, okay. I'm amazed this is on air, and I like this. You know, this is really going somewhere. I mean, I always liked the character anyway, but this was really a good, good attempt. At t- much better than the movie. Let's put it that way. The movie was just typical Hollywood. This was saying stuff. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's just ridiculous. But Matt Ryan was fantastic. Uh, the show itself, he had a couple of people that were with him that were okay. You know, I liked uh, Chaz, and Zed was so-so. Uh, this guy, you know, Manny, Harold Perrineau, was like the angel was falling around. He was good. Um, but it only lasted, like, I think nine episodes or something like that. And then they pulled it, and they were saying, okay, well, we're not going to put it out unless we get a second season. They didn't get the second season. They put him on one episode of Arrow, which wasn't too bad, but it wasn't great. I don't know. I'm really hoping we get at least that Blu-ray so we can get those couple episodes because it was a really, really good show. And I can't recommend it enough if anybody can even find a damn thing if they ever decide to put it out. Uh, so that's basically what I wanted to cover. How about you? Anything else you want to say here? Uh, well, well, I, I actually haven't seen Constantine. It's on my two-watch list. I did see the movie, which I didn't think it was as horrible as some people thought. was okay. Thought. So, yeah, it's okay. Um... Jessica Jones, which is the newest Netflix Marvel acquisition, um, is kind of oddly interesting because 
I'm not familiar with this character, uh, and uh, I'm not sure what superpower she has. She can read minds. David Tennant from Doctor Who is back, and he mysteriously now and then to influence her or to remind her of something, and we're not quite sure what's going on. Wow. Um, there's another character, Iron Fist. Uh, he's a black bartender. And um, they had some crazy sacks in the third episode. I'm like, what the hell's going on? The only thing going, uh, she's an amateur PI. And she works for a sadistic, uh, bondage-infused lesbian chick played by uh, the girl from The Matrix. Uh, the Matrix oh, girl, yes, uh, I know who you're talking about. Uh, what the hell was her name? Yeah. Well, I like the lot. Carrie um, M. Moss. Carrie M. Moss, that was it. Yes, yeah, she's really good, but in, in, she's good in this, too, but I'm not sure what they're doing. They're, she's like, she has a relationship with the woman. She has another relationship with the woman. What's going on? <laughs> um, then there was some really weird near-graphic sex going on here. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and then David Tennant appears, and he already sort of subliminally convinced the woman to kill her parents very violently. And then there's uh, hints of some abnormal sex going on with this woman's past. <laughs> the problem I have, you know I like the show already, right? That's right. It's the, problem I have, <laughs> the problem I have with the lead in Jessica Jones, don't ask me to look up her name, is she looks like a skanky chick from like really bad 70s porn. She's thin. She looks like she did a lot of drugs. I don't know. Who the hell cares to this thing? She looks like she agitated. And which I guess adds to her predicaments. But um so I got through several episodes of this thing and, and uh I understand there'll be a season two. And she does have powers. Uh I'm not quite sure what they are. <laughs> but well, uh, I, I, I uh, let's say, uh, what's, what's this say? You know, the, the, the jury's out on this. After I have an oblique awareness of the character in terms of comics, very oblique, because it was we were in and out of comics a couple of times, and during one of the last times we came in, we discovered that whoever this Jessica Jones person is, because I know nothing about her really, she's married to Luke Cage, who is a famous, you know, long-running black character from yeah. Marvel. Uh, but the fellow you're talking about is Iron Fist, who is his white partner, who is involved with a black girl named Misty Knight. So I don't know what the hell you're talking well, about with this one. They just kind of mess with it. They, they could, well, you know, I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to do like PC on PC, PC on PC. <laughs> but I will, I will say though that, that Luke Cage did pucker up the ass in in the second episode, <laughs> which blew my mind. And she just woke up, walked out while the guy sat on the edge of the bed. Befuddled. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. I, I gotta see the series now. This is just too fucked up. I don't think my wife's gonna want to watch it though. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> I know nothing about her except she's Luke Cage's wife, and I think she was pregnant at the time. I, I don't know anything else about her. I think she's supposed to be a reporter, I, like I, you said. No, no. I, I think they're trying. They, they were just influenced by a lot of things. So yeah. We're, Yes, we're ending on another bizarre note. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Uh, So uh, we hope you you enjoyed.
sure to have a little chat about comic book television. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking lights, camera, and a whole lot of action with Canon Films. Uh, starting life as a low-end distributor of Joe Sarno's Swedish-era softcore epics, the advent of Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus elevated Canon Films to the top tier of cult cinema, specifically in terms of action films, from early slasher films, Luigi Cozzi oddities, and breakdance films, to a nigh-exclusive hold in the ninja crown craze of the 80s, Canon took action heroes like Chuck Norris, Charlie Bronson, and even Michael Dudikoff and drove them to new heights, or lows depending on how you look at it, of explosion action cheese garnering both po-faced and tongue-in-cheek accolades from generations of fans in the process. So join us as we talk one of the most consistently crazed and entertaining film production companies in exploitation, the legendary Canon Films. That's next Thursday here on Weird Tunes Inside the Goldmine. So uh, anything else you wanted to get off your chest here? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we hope besides, you enjoyed this episode. Was he an anal sex with guy. druggies? And <laughs> hey, I didn't make the show. The show exists. <laughs> uh, no, we hope you. Skanky, <laughs> she's very skanky. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. And, uh, yes, watch Jessica Jones and let us know what you think. Uh, and watch Lizzie uh, tomorrow yeah, with a good laugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Watch, watch that one too, and uh, please tune in next week for <laughs> for more fun and hilarity <laughs> and off-color humor. <laughs> Only here on Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine. So, thanks Thank for you. joining us. We hope you enjoyed a little chat on the shows. Uh, next week will be fun and fun.
Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.